0: The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, welcome back to The Paracast, where we have an exciting show for you. I think I'm starting to sound like Tim Cook at Apple. You know, we got some great stuff for you, so stay with us for the next two or three hours, and you'll have fun. Now, in last week's episode we had Micah Hanks and Scotty Roberts. Of course, they have that Paradigm Symposium coming in October in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. But they mentioned, of course, the ancient astronauts guy, Eric Von Daniken, or as it is properly pronounced, Eric Von Daniken. That's what Bob Zanotti told us. And Bob is always right, so we'll go with that. Now, it was mentioned that he had been arrested for fraud and served a jail sentence. This is You know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, that kind of thing. And I looked it up because I wanted to see just how severe this conviction was. And this is the Wikipedia entry. We know that Wikipedia is not always accurate, but we'll go with it. So Von Daniken was arrested in November 1968 for fraud after falsifying hotel records and credit references in order to take out loans for $130,000 over a period of 12 years. Now, two years later, he was convicted, sentenced to over three years in prison, but only served a year. Okay, fine. Now, let's think about this, for example. He was fined 3,000 francs for this offense. Now, I don't know about the translation rate back in 1968, dollars, but 3,000 francs in 1968 was worth, what, about 150 or something? Sounds like a slap on the wrist to me. It sure was, $130,000. Now, let us now put this in perspective. The average family in the U.S. makes, what, 55000 a year. So in 2013 dollars, if it was $130,000, it would take a family over two years to earn it, except, of course, there has been inflation. So when we factor in inflation here, $130,000 in 1968 dollars, what is that in 2013, guys? It's almost $900,000. Wow. Okay, $900,000. Now, that's pretty wacky. In fact, one of the dogs in the neighborhood just barked at that figure. So I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty serious offense. And he has to be really lucky, except I guess white collar crimes were not taken near as seriously back in the 60s. So he was yeah. very lucky. I think if he stole $900,000 today, and we assume, you know, he's. An elderly man now but if he was 20 30 years old and sold that amount of money he wouldn't just get a year in prison yeah well how about sean david morton uh, claiming to be psychic and
2: uh, doing stock uh, psychic stock predictions and losing clients money to the tune of six million <laughs> I mean, that's and he still gets
1: invited to conferences it's it's amazing to me yeah but it's even more interesting over the fact that he was sued he wasn't arrested and charged with a crime. To me, if you do that, isn't it illegal? Uh, Yeah. So why is he not in prison? I mean, we put someone in jail if they smoke a joint in some parts of the United States. Yeah. They could spend five years in jail for smoking a joint. Okay? But a guy here who causes people to lose millions of dollars is going scot-free. I see a disconnect.
2: No knew that or he saved up a bunch of that money and that's now being earned
1: by his lawyer well there is that but i'm not going to say anything about von daniken except that his theory is nothing new he was the one with the best-selling book but when he came out with chariots of the gods we already had what brinsley laporte trench british writer we had desmond leslie who wrote about ancient astronauts in the early 50s his book was the introduction of Flying Saucers Have Landed, which, of course, was the Georgia Damsky book. So everybody was concerned about Georgia Adamski meeting the Venusian in the desert or whatever, but maybe they weren't so concerned about the guy who wrote about the ancient astronauts. Then, of course, we had people like Yona Fortner, who nobody ever heard of. Chris, ever hear of Yona Fortner? Not until I, I met you and, and you uh, clued me in, no. Yona Fortner was writing about that in the 50s for Jim Mosley's Saucer News. Okay? Yona was a brilliant scholar, but a pretty wacky guy. A really wacky guy, and sometimes you wondered if he was putting you on. But he was fluent in a number of languages, very smart on his feet, and he was talking about the God of the Old Testament being E.T. That's a the basic theory. So before von Daniken, there were a number of people who were presenting theories of this sort. But like always happens, the one with the best-selling book is the one who's credited with the theory. You don't think about the people who had gone before. Yeah.
2: Hopefully my new book will be the go-to book uh, on the subject I'm writing about, um, and it will uh, bring the whole uh, question of who's perpetrating uh, cattle mutilations uh, back into focus and sort of burn off some of the pop culture dross that's sort of gone up around the subject
1: well i think the unfortunate thing here is we have certain writers whom we could name certain lecturers who want us to believe that et is coming down here and carving up cattle and the question i'd ask is why why would they do that you think after you take three or four dna samples what's the rest all about
2: right and and why why not sample you know at your sampling materials out of a rendering plant or a slaughterhouse or something uh, it's it's obviously it's the location that's being sampled as well as the animal so that that's something that the the flying saucer theory just doesn't quite uh, quite embrace uh, that line of thinking doesn't really factor it in
1: well of course you're making me real curious now why would they sample the location? Give us a hint here, because we're going to well, be lining I've, I've up to buy, this, buy before, this book. Gene. This um, book it, is going to be the definitive work on cattle mutilations. So, why is the location significant?
2: Well, that's just it. Um, uh, back, well, I mean, way back in '79, David Perkins noticed that areas of high incidence tended to be downwind and downstream of nuclear test sites, uranium mines, power, uh, nuclear power plants, where we enrich and Weaponized uranium. Uh, so we may be dealing in some part with an environmental monitoring process that's actually looking at the environment and using soft tissue organs of livestock, which hold the most recent vestiges of the environment um, in their cells, uh, you know, sampling those organs.
1: All right. Well, we're going to look forward to that book. We're going to line up. We're going to maybe see if we can get you doing some book signings or something. This sounds like it's going to be a fascinating title. You know, this is the kind of book that should be the bestseller that A Chariot of the Gods was, because we have something now that's up front and personal, a real event that's happening now, not 2,000 years ago, and we'd like to know more about it. But what we'd like to know more about, of course, is what is happening to the mutual UFO network, MUFON. MUFON has had some musical chairs in terms of international directors. You know, they've had James Carrion, who left under a cloud. And we have on the show, he explained what happened. We had Clifford Clift. We had David McDonald, who never came on the show. And we have Jan, is that Harzan? Chris? Yeah. Okay. We have Jan Harzan, who has just taken the role of international director of MUFON. And he is going to be on the show today. Chris, tell us a bit more.
2: Well, Jan has been a long time uh um uh, state director and also the head of Orange County MUFON. I met him uh geez, it's it's gotta have been seventeen, eighteen years ago. A really sweet guy, super knowledgeable, uh, crack businessman. He worked for IBM as a, a senior project uh um, manager for thirty plus years. Um pretty much knows everybody in the field, uh I think, um all the the movers and shakers. And um is is very shrewd and um I think a perfect choice for MUFON. I'm really looking forward to uh, to see what Jan does with the organization, and we've got a lot of questions for him today on the Paracast.
1: And we're definitely not going to hold back. Real hard questions of Jan Harzan, the new international director of MUFON, joining Jean and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> A2Hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24 7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code gene when you check out. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources,
3: September 12th, 2013. Gold opened this morning at 134040. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 138885, 69443 for a half ounce, or 34721 for a quarter ounce. That's 138885, 69443, and 34721.
4: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why bank stockbrokers' investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237.
6: Summertime is sale time at Herbal Healer Academy. Current customers know this is the time to save big and stock up at HerbalHealer.com. New customers, welcome to the web's best place to save on vitamins, minerals, and more. Right now, Herbal Healer's summer specials include our 500 parts per million colloidal silver, all sizes on sale, CoQ10 with Hawthorne, colon enhancer, sea cucumber, superfem and Super Male plex, plus glucosamine chondroitin, our best-selling liquid CalMag vitamin D, and our colloidal little minerals all on sale for summer at herbalhealer.com and herbal healer also offers certificate correspondence courses in natural medicine enjoy same day shipping and free online newsletter log on to our nation's leader in supplying quality natural medicine and education since 1988 herbal healer academy at herbalhealer.com
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're joined by Jan Harzan, the new director of the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON. But before we talk about what the organization has done and is doing, let's learn about Jan. So, Jan, welcome to the PowerCast.
7: Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I well, think our like listeners will want to know about
1: your background and how you got started in this. What made you interested in the subject of UFOs?
7: Well, I actually, we started when I was a, a young a kid. Growing up, my father used to subscribe to uh, True and Argosy, which are men's magazines of the day. Ah, uh, Yes, uh, I
1: sort of remember that. That ages me.
7: It was back in the late 50s, early 60s. And uh, there were articles in there by Major Keyhole uh, from NICAP and different folks talking about UFOs. And, of course, the newspapers always had citing reports in them in those days. I mean, that was kind of front-page news if there was something significant that happened, particularly the swamp gas uh, in 1965, 66, in that era. um, It always hit the front page of the newspaper. So my brother and I were both very interested in the subject and we were kind of playing around with it and uh, we came to the conclusion that these craft were not only extraterrestrial but they were using some kind of electromagnetic or nuclear energy to give them the ability to defy gravity so that that was where my first beginnings of uh, getting interested in the subject started quite quite at a young age actually okay
1: now did you ever yeah. see anything
8: yeah. strange yeah.
7: Actually, uh, we did because my brother and I uh, were in the process of trying to actually build one of these craft, and we decided that it was probably uh, something for using pulsed electromagnetic energy of some sort. And so we had designed, on paper at least, a thirty-foot craft with three pulsed electromagnetic engines. Now, mind you, we were pretty young at the time; we we're like nine and ten years old. But um, we decided we we're going to build this, and so. Uh, my mother took us to the store one day, and we were waiting for her to check out. We noticed at the newsstand there was a little uh, small magazine called the Flying Saucer Review, and we purchased a copy of it. Had Our mother purchased a copy of it and took it home, and we started reading it. And in the magazine, it basically said that UFOs are seen around military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where anti-gravity research is being done. So we just kind of looked at each other and we said, wow, we're doing anti-gravity research. Maybe you want to come visit us. Um, well, it wasn't but a month later, uh, my brother came into my room early one Saturday morning around 6.30 and woke me up and said, there's someone trying to break into my room. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, someone's outside and kind of mumbling around trying to take out the screen. And I said, well, did you look out and see who it was? He said, no, I didn't do that, you know. <laughs> and so we went back we looked. There was nothing there. And I said, well, why don't we go out in the backyard and you know, let's dog out. We'll go back and see who's back there. So at this time of the year, it was right before the time change, about April of 65, and it was very light outside. The sun had already come up. It was bright. It was almost day, you know, it was day, daylight. Uh, we were walking down the hallway, and as we went down the hallway in the home, our home, uh, I was talking to him, and he said, look, and I turned around to see where Because he was walking forward, I was looking backwards towards him. He was pointing at our living room drapes, which were white drapes, and the sun was coming in to the drapes, uh, so they were all lit up, and I didn't see anything. So I said, "Well, what did you see, Jeff?" And he said, um, "There was somebody standing against the window." And I told you to look. They floated backwards. And that was the words he used. They they, they floated backwards. I thought, "Wow, that's kind of strange." I, I thought he was just pulling my leg. So I said, "Fine, let's go out in the backyard. We'll uh, go see what's happening." So. We went into the garage, and as we did, our kitchen was right there. Um, I noticed the clock said 6.30 a.m. on it. And we went into the garage and then out the back door and to the end of the house so we could look back at his bedroom window, and there was nothing there. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right, sure, there's nothing here, Jeff. You're just pulling my leg. We turned around to go back into the house, and there 30 feet from us hovering 10 feet off the ground uh, was a landing craft making a humming noise much like a high-voltage transformer in the nighttime. If you ever walked down the street and heard one of those things humming, uh, it sounded exactly like that. And uh, quite frankly, we were stunned. So continue on, I said to him, well, my first thought was this thing looks – well, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, these things are real. My second thought that went through my head was, oh, my gosh, this thing looks man-made. Because if you looked at it, it was a tank. Um, I always tell people if you took a brick – and he blew it up to, you know, four feet wide by three feet tall by eight to ten feet long, and then completely smoothed all the edges. And then painted it a bright orange. Uh, and then it had blue corrugated landing gear, four of them, and then brown well, black suction cups on the bottom of the landing gear. Um, and then it had brown crossbars on the legs, connecting the legs, two, two, two on each side. And in the middle of the crossbars, there was a bolt. And it was a bolt that made me think this thing's man-made, because I was thinking, why would it have a bolt on it? But as I looked at the craft, it was perfectly smooth, almost like a ceramic. But I don't believe we had ceramics back in those days. I mean, back in those days, I think it was rivets and and, and nuts that put things together, metal, sheet metal together. So there was not a seam in this whole craft. I mean, it was completely seamless. So the next thought that went through my head was, how do these guys get in and out of this thing? Because there's no doors, no windows. Um, It was just a tank um, hovering, and it was completely frozen in the sky. So I said to him, I'm going to go in and get a camera. I'll be right back. And I ran into the garage, turned to go into the house, and the door was locked. And I started pounding on the doors, hoping that one of my my older brother would come and open it up. And um, about five minutes later, he did. I went in and got a camera, came back out, and my brother was standing up on top of a swing set we had looking off to the west, but the craft was gone, and I said, what happened? And he said, well, it we just hovered there for a minute, and it slowly started to drift away, and it just shot over the horizon. So that was our experience as young kids, and uh, that has pretty much shaped who I've been for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, that's up close and personal. About how? What was the distance between you and the craft at that point when it was hovering?
7: Uh, I took 25 to 30 feet. It, was, it wasn't very far, I mean, it was right in front of our faces.
2: Did did you have any,
7: feel any physiological
2: effects, any prickly skin, uh, hair standing up, anything like that that would indicate something electrical?
7: No, uh, we didn't actually, although we did have a, I think it was a peach peach tree. We had three peach trees in the backyard, and later, many, many, many years later, when we dug up the one peach tree, because it had, had died by that time, um, we noticed that the roots had grown in a circle, <laughs> which is interesting, kind of circular. So the craft would have been... Not right over it, but very close to it, that particular tree.
2: Wow, that's that's interesting.
7: Yeah, hmm. I mean, so, so you, know, it's, you know it's one thing to see. Now I've had many people say many things. I mean, over the years, I the first reaction was on that Monday morning when I went to school. I would have been in about the fifth or sixth grade at that time. I mentioned this to my best buddy. I said, "Hey, Tom, you know this happened to me over the weekend, and I was expecting a, you know." a, intelligent response or, gee, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that. And and he just looked at me and he said, you want to go play baseball? And I thought, did you just hear
4: what I said? (laughs) Did you just hear what I told you?
7: I
1: think that didn't register. I'll tell you, Jan, that did not register. It's like what you said maybe just didn't compute in that person's mindset. And we'll get into more of this coverage in our next segment. Jan Harzan is the brand new up front and personal director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. So many more questions to deal with. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Are you tired
9: of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more.
1: We are the GCN Radio Network.
3: There's a huge and hushed up conspiracy going on that's about to turn your lives upside down in the coming few months. Unbelievably, the media are keeping quiet about this. I'm sure they know it, but they probably know that revealing it on TV will generate mass hysteria and chaos. But I believe you should be informed about it, because when the sinister agenda is finally accomplished and everything unravels, only those who know this secret info will survive and thrive. Go to 123conspiracy.com right now to see the truth. The video at 123conspiracy.com reveals the real secret reason why Obama is after your guns and ammo. And it's not just in response to mass murders of preparing for war. It's something much darker. Go watch the video now at 123conspiracy.com before they shut it down. Again, that's 123conspiracy.com.
11: My name's Bruno, I'm 52 years old. I've tried different protein powders over the years and they've all tasted pretty bad. I tried One World Way and found it to be delicious. After 10 weeks on One World Way, my wife commented, you have more muscles and you're leaner than when you were 20 years old. My body has changed dramatically. I'm a cyclist, normally I'll ride two days on and take two days off. After being on One World Way. I rode 10 days in a row in over 100-degree heat, and then I'd take another two servings of One World Way, and then work out at the gym for another hour and a half. I just couldn't believe these results. My normal muscle tightness and soreness after working out are virtually gone. Don't take my word for it. One World Way comes in single servings. Just give it a try.
12: For a health and taste sensation you'll love, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWheY.com.
13: This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast
1: With Gene and Chris in the PowerCast, Jan Harzan joins us telling about the sighting involving he and his brother up front and personal 30 feet away from this thing.
7: I would have been approximately 9 or 10 years old at that time. I don't know the exact date, but I remember it happened pr- prior to the uh, Michigan sighting where Swamp Cast became the, the watchword of the day, and it happened after I had moved to a new middle school. So it's bra- I have it bracketed. But I believe it was April of 1965, approximately, and that would have made me actually, oh, 10 years old, I believe.
2: Well, interesting. That's the same month that I had my up-close-and-personal um, non-human entity encounter as a kid. Same oh, month, really? same year. Uh huh.
7: Same month, same year. Wow. Yeah. There's actually quite a bit of activity there. In fact, I just had a, um, a good friend of the family. Uh, my wife was talking to her and mentioned that, that I was taking over as the executive director for MUFON, and I mean, this is someone we don't talk about UFOs with particularly, and the next thing she does is she starts unloading her UFO sighting from Pasadena that she had in 1965 where three craft up by JPL came down and watched her as a young girl playing football in the backyard with her brother. It's just amazing when you start talking to people. This is not something people generally share. <laughs> it's not the first thing you tell your your newest friend. Uh, no. <laughs> unless you want them to run away quick. <laughs>
2: but, Actually, uh, mine was mine was a year prior to that. Mine was 64, I think, because I was seven. So that would have made but, but, it 64.
7: But that three-year period, 64 through 66, was quite a bit of activity. Yeah,
1: yeah it definitely was. Before we go on, when this happened, did you go to your friends, your family, and say, my heavens, look what we saw?
7: Well, you know, it's interesting. My brother and I talked about it, and we decided... Going to the authorities, since we were only you know nine and ten years old, uh, they weren't going to believe us anyway. Um, and then we talked about talking to our parents, and we said, "No, it's so we kept it to ourselves." Basically, um, particularly after that experience I had with my best friend, which the realization hit me that people have a hard time integrating this within their paradigm, or you know, within their belief system. And if people can't integrate it, then they just reject it and they ignore it. I think that's one of our biggest cha- challenges in this field, uh, particularly among scientists and others, is if, if you know if it's not in your belief system, if it's not in your paradigm, it, it, you, you know it just doesn't exist. Um, so we didn't immediately. Now, years later, maybe five years later, we did mention it to our folks, and their take on it was, "Oh, that's you know it was interesting to them. I mean, they, they believed us, but no, I did not go around telling everybody I met that <laughs> I just seen a, a UFO."
2: The best way to, to make friends with the girls, especially.
7: <laughs> no, not, not, not really. No, it, it, it can be frightening to a lot of people.
1: Did not endear uh, you to them, but was this something that just kept staying with you during your teen years? Did you ever see anything else?
7: Well, I had other what I would call paranormal um, experiences, but I know I no, I'd never saw another craft, at least not as a young man. Um, so the answer to that is no. But what, the effect it did have on me was... When I saw this craft, it struck me that the technology that the craft was displaying, that if we could harness that, we could greatly advance where mankind is from a standpoint of transportation. Um, I mean, this thing obviously could get from here to there pretty darn quick. So it's just uh, unfathomable to me that, you know, 100-plus years later, we're still ramming air over a wing to get people to fly from here to there when this technology is sitting right in front of our face that we could – figure out and harness and put to good use. The other, which I didn't really think of immediately, but later on was just the whole energy system. I mean, there was no tanks or any propellant or any fuel on this thing. So whatever energy it was generating, it was generating internally or, or out of the vacuum of space. So, um, you know, just I, just I just think from a technology standpoint that uh, forget the people, forget who's coming here and why they're coming here, just looking at the technology that's available to us, um, was very uh, startling to me and very um, exciting. And so one of the things I did was I started to go down the path of, of being a scientist, being an engineer, and I ended up uh, getting uh, into UCLA School of Engineering where I studied uh, at first electrical, but then I switched over to nuclear because I figured it was one either an electromagnetic or a nuclear or some combination of those forces that was causing them to be able to do what they did. Um Unfortunately, I quickly realized that our technology and our, and our science at that point was, was pretty lacking and that we weren't, weren't going to get there just using the standard textbooks and, and things that existed at the moment. So I looked around, and I uh, was thinking about changing my major, but I ended up staying with it and uh, graduating with my degree in nuclear engineering. And then, of course, you and Stan Friedman. Yeah, Stan was a physicist, um, but nuclear physicist, correct. That's correct.
1: Now, nuclear engineering, in what sense does that apply to the field?
7: Well, I just, for me, it applied in that there were some, either nuclear forces, electromagnetic forces, some kind of forces that were being uh, negated uh, by this craft that allowed it to just hover in the sky without any wings or propellers or engines, but just hang there. The, The only obvious uh, means of propulsion that I could tell was this humming noise coming from it—high um, voltage humming noise.
1: So there was never any doubt when you saw this thing. This is a solid metallic craft, obviously far more advanced than anything we could
7: produce. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. Now so so had, uh,
2: you automatically just you just assumed that this was something that wasn't something of ours. Well,
7: I definitely was. In my opinion, it definitely was not ours. Now, mm-hmm. could it be another country? countries? Could it be another civilization living on this planet? It's possible. I mean, it doesn't have to be enough extraterrestrial origin, but it's certainly not something from the United States inventory at that time. At least that's my belief. And, and the reason I believe that is because if it had been ours, 50 years later, you would think that we would be putting that into some kind of commercial use. Now, maybe that's naive, but I I believe that to be true. Now, I do have a researcher friend whose father uh, was a research scientist at the Rockwell Science Center in Thousand Oaks, which is where I grew up, is where the sighting occurred. And his view of it is, oh, this is obviously something my father was working on, and they were just testing it, and you happened to see it. And I said, well, Bill, it's possible. I, I certainly put that down as a possibility. But why would they be testing their craft at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday in my backyard? That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> That's a good question. Why would they? Why would Why
2: would even ET be there or uh, some ultra-terrestrial or crypto-terrestrial? Why would they be in your backyard?
7: That's a very good question. I have no real answer to it. I mean, I have some theories. I mean, one is that we did – I think there is some element of consciousness to this whole whole matter – uh, and having been sitting on our bed reading this Flying Saucer review and reading those lines that say that these craft are seen around, you know, military installations, nuclear power plants, and places where UFO research are being done, anti-gravity research is being done, you know, I, I, and then thinking to ourselves, talking, we actually verbalize to ourselves, oh, my gosh, maybe one of these things will come visit us, Um I have to believe there was some kind of a connection to that whole thing. So maybe that
1: might be interesting to discuss further. But I wanted to focus on something else you mentioned earlier, and that is when I asked you about more experiences, you said you had some paranormal experiences, and we're going to have to break for the next segment in a moment in about a minute. But maybe you can start and tell us any of those experiences that you had worth repeating. Give us one. Throw us a bone.
7: Okay, I will do that.
1: So go ahead, please. Did you, do, did you want to do that now? Start with it, and then we'll do the break, and then we'll come back
7: and complete it. Well, the two uh, specific ones um, was when I was uh, three or four years old. Um, I woke up from a nap, and there was an angel or light being uh, sitting on a chair across from me watching me, um, which scared the holy terror out of me. And then uh, the other one was that I had a time loop, uh, much like uh, Groundhog Day. That it occurred where time looped on itself, which is very strange.
1: Oh boy, you know, this will be the great cliffhanger, ladies and gentlemen. Time loop. I want to focus on that before we continue with some of the other stuff, and of course, about the current state of MUFON. Our guest is Jan Harzan, the organization's new international director. You're on with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
9: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies... Paranormal activity and Florida phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news. It's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. That's Mr. UFO. At WebTV.net Find out What they Don't want you to know
14: you've thought about it for years well the time is now you need a secret bunker and you need it deep and strong atlas survival shelters should be your first and only choice the experts at atlas can help you choose a shelter that has all the comforts of your home and is 11 times stronger than square box shelters call atlas at 1-855-4-BUNKERS 1-855-4-BUNKERS or visit iwantthatbunker.com atlas survival
15: shelters better prepared than scared September is National Preparedness Month. That's right. We like to call it prep And there's no better place to get prepped than with emergency essentials at BePrepared.com. This month only, save 40% on our super supply of freeze-dried vegetables. That's a savings of $159. Freeze-dried pork sausage crumbles are 39% off, regularly $39.95, now just $23.99. There's a lot more. Call emergency essentials at 800-999-1863 or visit BePrepared.com. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com.
13: An e-cig revolution is sweeping across the country, but is yours American-made? Vapriate e-liquid by Lasig is manufactured in Arkansas with 100% USA-sourced ingredients, and when you buy American, you support local jobs. Vapriate e-liquid by Lasig is top quality at an affordable price, the very principle that once drove the American economy. Get great taste with no ash, tar, or smoke. You'll be wondering why you didn't make the change to Vapriate e-liquid by Lasig a long time ago. Lasig.com has everything you need for beginners to the advanced vaping enthusiast with a wide variety of hardware and also imported e-liquid flavors as well plus La smokes the competition with fast free same-day shipping real people customer service and a 30-day satisfaction guarantee support our country and become a Vapriot at Lasig.com or call 870-525-1440 870-525-1440 e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker
4: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the
16: Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: A time loop. This is fascinating. Jan Harzan joining us with Gene and Chris on the Paracast. So let's have the specifics here. I remember, of course, the movie Groundhog Day, and maybe most of you remember it. This is a great kind of unusual, offbeat, quirky comedy with Bill Murray, who's offbeat and quirky. It's about this guy, this TV weatherman, who experiences the same day over and over again until he gets it right. So, okay, you had a time loop, Jen. How old were you when this happened? Where were you? And how did it manifest itself?
7: I was around 11 or 12 at the time, and I was in the front... Um, foyer of my home where the front door comes into the house, and I had this uh, experience where I had walked out the door, uh, walked down to the end of my driveway, ran into my neighbor who was a young kid my age living next door at the time. We got into a uh, verbal disagreement about something which ended up turning into a a fist fight (laughs) and me throwing him into our ditch, which is next to our house, and jumping on top of him. And Basically, we got a big fight is what happened. Um, And then all of a sudden, after it happened, it was like, bam, I was back in the foyer walking out the front door again. And it was at that moment it hit me. I, I, I just did this. And I literally walked out the front door, walked down my driveway exactly like I had just done, ran into my neighbor exactly as I had done that, said the exact same words to him, had the exact same response, got the exact same fight, went into, you know, got a fight, actually threw him into the ditch, <laughs> jumped in on top of him. I mean, we were young kids at the time, so that was what we did. We fought. And And as I was going through the whole experience, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if I can change this. Now, I didn't because I wanted to see how it would play out, so I just let it play out as it was playing out. But, you know, as I'm literally going through these motions, I'm thinking to myself, "I wonder if I can change this, or if this is all predestined. you know this is just the way it's it's just programmed because it's already happened in time. Um, but it was a very freaky experience. I mean, I've never had it since I have spoken to other people who have had similar experiences, but um it, it's pretty strange. It makes you question you know what is time and how does time work.
1: Does that at all make you question what your original perceptions about? the ufo or flying saucer you saw might be because if we're seeing that time may not be what we expect what about something from out of time that just appeared briefly
7: well it has brought up for me i mean i've thought through you know for my sighting specifically you know do we somehow have a way of creating reality do we have some way to to do this it could it could it be something out of time yeah i mean it, it certainly could be something out of time but time travel or something of that sort I mean, I don't know the nature or origin of the craft that we saw. All I know is it was there. It was physical. It was uh, showing um, very advanced technology. And uh, for some reason, it wanted to show itself to us so that we would know it had been there. And then it, uh, it pretty much left. But certainly, yeah, you, you think about all these things, trying to figure out how does this work, why is it happening, who's behind it, you know, what is the technology that's doing this, It's it's a very fascinating study, in my opinion. I've always been a scientist's mind. I always want to know why. And uh, this just piques your, your, your mind, you know, in terms of thinking these ways. So, absolutely.
1: Do you ever think that maybe the UFO is manifesting itself to you in a way that you can understand? You're reading about flying saucers. You're reading about things that have a science fiction flavor to them. Ever consider
7: that? No, no. Really, I think I've often thought, you know, was there a reason why it it manifested or showed itself to me was to get me to, number one, know it's real, and number two, to be interested in it uh, and the whole subject of how it works, so that perhaps I could help affect change on this planet and and bring that about. All right, so you think
1: that you're being communicated with, then, by whatever is responsible for that craft?
7: Well, I'm not not saying I was communicated with. I'm basically saying this... There's probably a reason I'm thinking there's a reason why they showed themselves to us because why would they show themselves to us? Um, so there must be something behind that um, that they're wanting to have happen so but you know that's I'm not here to do their bidding. I'm here to do what I want to do. I just happen to be interested in technology. I've always been a scientist type and engineering, and I can think of nothing more fascinating to work on than you know trying to figure out how to Travel to the stars, or, or you know, beat gravity at his own game, or or uh, you know, create energy that allows us to not have to have uh, power lines strung across the planet.
2: It's a very tricksterish uh, uh, event, um, similar to many that have been uh, recounted down through the years. Uh, it, it definitely had a, a, an impact on your reality view. I mean, you never looked at your reality the same after that. So it, it definitely had a it had a post-experience impact that um, pushed you in the direction of not really having any doubts anymore in your mind about the validity of, of this particular type of phenomenon.
7: Yeah, I, I would say, uh, Chris, a, a close encounter of this type has um, definite psychological impact. Um, yeah, I know impact. mine did.
2: I,
1: yeah. I've never been the same since then. It is yeah. messing with your reality. It really did even just as much as having that repeating time incident having your little groundhog day affair that something was messing with you something was telling you something you think and i mention this because i don't know if you were ever a reader of the magazines published by ray palmer you know who he was right I do not, so go ahead Okay. And me. All right, let me enlighten you. Ray Palmer was originally a science fiction writer and editor. He was the editor of Amazing Stories. He was the guy who brought to the public the Shaver mystery about a guy named Richard Shaver who claimed to have been in contact with dwellers beneath the surface of the Earth, maybe a breakaway civilization or something. He talked about objects that later manifested themselves apparently as UFOs. So he may have been the guy, one of the early guys who talked about the arrival of UFOs. Well, Ray Palmer had a magazine out called Flying Saucers that discussed different theories about UFOs, one of which was the Flying Saucers were here to make us think. And, you know, we can go into other things about Ray Palmer, we've done some episodes on him. We even talked to his son recently. He was also one of the founders of Fate magazine. I'm sure you've heard of that. Absolutely. Okay. Now, when Palmer says flying saucers are here to make us think, well, certainly it made you think because it very much changed your life in many ways, didn't it?
7: Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, going back to what Chris had said, too, I mean, just. Your whole world view is shattered in a moment. <laughs> I mean, you can believe in UFOs. I mean, you can say, "Oh yeah, I know there's extraterrestrials out there." But I'll tell you, when they're thirty feet from your face, <laughs> or whatever this craft was—I'm not saying it's extraterrestrial, but I, but, but that seems like a good hypothesis. You know, it it just turns your whole world upside down. Now, and I was only you know ten at the time, so. You know, if your view is that, you know, you live in a house, a little picket fence, you know, and the sun comes up and the sun goes down and you have breakfast and dinner and you go play with your friends and that's kind of your life at that age. Um, and now all of a sudden something shows up that has nothing to do with anything you've ever, ever experienced before. It it, it stops you dead in your tracks and it turns your whole world upside down. It's very psychologically um, disconcerting. That's what I would say. Uh, it was so much disconcerting that my, my brother... Who was with me? A year younger than me uh, in age. Um, had a very difficult time in his life. He uh, turned to alcohol and then to drugs. And uh, I'm I'm pleased to say he's now clean. But um, you know, it, for years it messed him up in terms of of who he was. Now um, I, I I notice a lot of people who have had uh, been impacted or, or affected or encountered these objects. Uh, they have difficulty in their lives with uh, stuff. It's, it just seems to be very troubling because it just doesn't fit in with anything we currently you know in the mainstream know to be true
1: well in your case it made you a nuclear scientist
7: right exactly do you think that you
1: would have in your wildest dreams become what you became had it not been for those experiences
7: i highly doubt it i highly doubt it it was it was the real driver for me growing up
1: okay at what point did you get actively involved in a ufo research organization or organizations
7: well actually uh not until many years later now the first time i ever saw mufon was on a tv show actually was a news program where walt andrus was being interviewed i think it was around 1972 and he was being interviewed by the news people who were on a sighting um and and wanted his opinion on something so i had mufon in the back of my brain i knew about mufon but when i graduated from college i uh, I kind of changed my focus. I went more into the business side of things, and I ended up joining IBM uh, as a company because I really wanted to go with a company that had a huge research budget because I felt, you know, if somebody could just apply some of that money to this problem, this opportunity, this challenge, that we could solve it. So I worked 37, almost 37 years with IBM, retired just about two months ago, and uh, in sales and marketing, I was an executive with them and During my time there, I had the opportunity to talk to two senior VPs of research uh, about this subject. We'll split for the segment here, and we'll continue that.
1: We have Jan Harzan, international director of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. America's
9: number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are... The GCN Radio Network.
17: A healthy digestive system supports a healthy, system, a healthy immune system. And a healthy immune system protects you against infections and disease. Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse, available at TerraGanics.com is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic and is gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 contains three groups of beneficial microbes and enzymes to cleanse and remove toxins, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, and aids in controlling yeast and other infections. Pro-EM-1 one is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, is non-GMO, has all natural certified organic ingredients, has no preservatives, and is never freeze-dried. Pro-EM-1 is the key to your digestive health. Order Pro-EM-1 daily probiotic cleanse at Terraganics.com spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene
1: Steinberg. Jan Harzan joining Gene and Chris in the Paracast this week. He's the new international director of Mutual UFO Network. And he mentions here he worked for IBM and as you were saying in the previous segment you talked to a couple of executives about UFO research?
7: Yeah, over over the course of number of years, I mean, we've had several senior vice presidents of research and I had the opportunity through different briefings and things that I had attended to actually spend some time just talking to them. The reaction wasn't that these things aren't real, although I think I I found a little bit of skepticism, but it was mostly that you know, if we monitor everything, we, we uh, have scientists looking at the basic fundamental building blocks of, of the universe and how you know, materials get built and things like that. That's, that's fundamental to the, to the business that IBM is in. And if there was anything to this, we would know about it. That was kind of the reaction I got. So it, it was an eye-opener for me that it's very difficult to get real scientists to study this problem uh, with an open mind. Um, That doesn't mean we don't have real scientists studying, because we do, lots of them, but it's just, it's very difficult to get, you know, if someone hasn't had a personal experience themselves, or hasn't had some close family member, I think it's just, it's just, we're dealing with a paradigm thing, and we're dealing with a belief system again, and it's just very difficult to get past that.
1: Okay, so you first became acquainted with MUFON when Walt Andrus was running it. When did you join, and when did you become more active in the organization?
7: Okay. Well, as I was as I was moving through my career at IBM, I was a branch manager uh, in Orange County, California, and I was getting some business coaching from a uh, what I would call good friend. It wasn't He wasn't a good friend at that time, but he was a business coach. But we came, became good friends, and he asked me the question one day. He said, "Well, you know, if you were independently wealthy, what would you be doing with your life?" I said, "Well, if I was, you know, had all the money in the world, I could do anything I wanted to do. I guess I'd be doing UFO research." He said, "Oh, really? He says, well, tell me more about that. So I told him about my experience and what I was involved in and how this was uh, an important thing to me and uh, how I felt it was uh, something very important to be done. But, you know, it needs to be funded and, you know, I don't have the money to do it now, but if I did, I would do that. And he said, hmm, okay. So he tucked that away, and about uh, a month later when I was talking to him and working with him, he pulled out a flyer and said, hey, I wanted you to have this. And it was a flyer for the UFO Expo West <laughs> in uh, the Hyatt at the LAX airport, uh, which was put on by a gentleman who used to do the uh, I mean, the whole Life expos if I'm not mistaken. I went, wow, you know, I didn't re- realize there were these kinds of things. I think it was actually a little pamphlet, a book, paperback, almost like a like a penny saver. But it was full of chocker block, full of all, this, all the uh, UFO stuff that was going to happen at this weekend event. I went to the event. I just... Uh, i to drive up to LAX and go to the thing. And I was I was totally blown away by the number of speakers they had, the topics they were talking about, the vendors. There was a MUFON table there. I got introduced to the MUFON people. I think this is like 89 to 91 in that time frame. It was quite an eye-opener for me. It was actually the place where I met a good friend of mine, Tom Keller. And Tom is also a graduate of the UCLA School of Engineering. He's about 10 years older than me. And uh, he was standing there in the hallway. And I saw him standing and I walked up to him and I said, hey, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? And uh, he said, sure is. So we started talking, became very, very good friends. He and I actually took a couple trips out to Area 51 together. And then he, of course, wrote the book, The Novice's Guide to to UFOs, many years later. But that kind of got me started. And then I realized or found out that the MUFON group in Los Angeles was holding meetings at the Pickwick Center, up in Burbank. So I started attending those on a monthly basis, which was quite a hike. It was about an hour drive from my home. But that's what my first got me started in MUFON. Um, and then about several months later, a uh, young lady by the name of Deborah Trincali had sent a letter out to all the MUFON members uh, in Orange County saying, hey, we're going to start a chapter in Orange County, just like uh, they do in LA. And if you'd like to attend, we're going to have a kickoff meeting uh I think of the name of the hotel, I mean, think, uh, uh, the Countryside Inn on Bristol in uh, Costa Mesa. So I showed up to that meeting and met about 20 or 30 other like-minded individuals, and that was the launch of Buffon Orange County, which I, I ended up after Deborah retired from there, running for the past 18, 19 years.
1: All right, so where does that lead to becoming the international director?
7: Well, uh, in running a state section under the uh, state director at the time, who was Georgianne Seffarelli, in fact, she's still a state director, a great lady who uh, has been a good mentor to me through the years. We um, ran meetings. I know Chris has been at our meetings uh, as a speaker at least two times, maybe three times over the years. Um, It got me involved to the point where I was attending the symposiums every year, and this goes back, oh, maybe almost 15, 20 years all over the country. And as I was at the symposiums, I had an opportunity to talk to Walt Andrus quite a bit and John schuster and the other folks who have been so uh, instrumental in uh, running MUFON for the past 45 years. And Walt would send around a notice to the different chapters soliciting chapters who would want to host the MUFON symposium. And he would move it around from the west to the south to the east to the midwest you know so he would try to move it around every year to a different spot and uh one year he sent out a note just saying hey i'm soliciting input for uh people who might want to run uh, host the uh, symposium and i put a my board and i put a uh i guess a proposal you'd say together a one-page proposal saying here we'd like to do it. here's how we think it would be, be done and um we were uh lucky enough to be selected by Walt to host the 2001 MUFON Symposium. So in 2001, we held the symposium here in Orange County at the Hyatt Irvine, Hyatt Regency Irvine, and it was very, very successful and well attended. And as a result of that, between the time we accepted the award from Walt to the time we ran the conference, Walt had retired after 30 years of running MUFON, and John Schusler had come in as the new international director. And John and I became good friends. And through that discussion, John asked if I would join the uh, MUFON business board. The, at the time he had, when he took over, he tried to bring on some business people to help run MUFON more like a business, not uh, because we'd always struggle. Well, when Walt ran the business, it all ran out of his home, out of his garage. So there was no, no rent or anything like that. It was pretty easy to make ends meet. He had, I think one, one full-time secretary and one part-time person who worked. And then he and his wife kind of worked the business. But, John was trying to run it more like a business, and and uh, you know, build up Mufon stature, make it uh, continue to make it even more professional than it was. And uh, I got this opportunity to be on the the business board, and uh, start working with a lot of great people on that board. And uh, so, through the years, uh, I was asked to if I would consider taking over the international director at the time it was called international director now it's called executive director and of course because of my work commitments my my family commitments it was not possible at the time so now that i've retired from IBM, now that my kids are pretty much in college or, or out of the house um i have the time and commit, you know ability to uh, to do this so it was the right time to make this change
1: okay i thinking i'm going to ask a question here which will probably require a lot more than the remaining minute and a half of the segment to answer Now, since John Schuchler left MUFON, we've had a procession of directors there. Of course, for example, James Carrion, and there was, I guess, kind of a cloud over his departure, Clifford Clift, David McDonald, and now you. And does that kind of constant movement of directors, that kind of hurt the organization because you get started and then there's another guy in there?
7: I don't think so, because we're we're really run by a business board. So it's not – its not that's the unique thing about MUFON. It's not like a lot of UFO groups, which are the person, and that's the group. I mean, it's that person is everything. In MUFON, we actually have a business board as well as, you know, state directors um, and, and, you know, hundreds of field investigators. We have a whole organization here that it's not run as a dictatorship. But, you know, it's run as a, a nonprofit organization with uh, management oversight, uh, and and board oversight. So, I think actually that's the one of the um, strengths of an organization like MUFON. You don't have to worry about it just evaporating and disappearing overnight because some of the, because the leader died.
1: Okay, we will discuss more of MUFON and what's going on with them in our next segment. We have the new director, Jan Harzan, joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Perigast. <laughs>
18: It's hurricane and wildfire season again. Why do thousands of people sit in these reoccurring problem areas year after year, betting their lives that the disaster won't get them? Hundreds of you helped eFoods Direct ship 50,000 donated meals to the Oklahoma victims. The problem is we can't help everybody. If every one of us who can will take care of ourselves, we can all pitch in to take care of those who really can't. The new Just-In-Case Pack from eFoods Direct is the big brother to the seven-day emergency pack designed for Oklahoma disaster donations. It contains a two-month supply for one person or a one-month supply for two adults or a two-week supply for a family of four. The $320 price is $50 less than retail. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, eFoodsDirect.com, slash Alex. Order two or more, get 10% off. Free shipping applies. Call 800 409 nine five six three three on the web alex
5: for over five years you've been hearing about the berkey guy so you may know a few things about him for example you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of berkey water filters and accessories
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Jan Harzan is director of MUFON. You're on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. Okay, Jan, so we therefore expect that the director can change now every few years so you may take it over you have it now maybe in a few years somebody else takes over
7: well that is that's a possibility I, you know i think it's a 3 year term and the board reelects the uh, well the board reelects each board member too every 3 years as well so um you could run it as long as you really want to run it you know i mean it's there's nothing that says you only can be three years and then you're out. There's no term limits, per se. So it's really um, just up to the uh, purview of the board. You know, the real strength is that we created an, an executive committee. We call it an advisory committee, but of uh, the past three international directors, so, so we've got John Schusler, Dave McDonald, and Clifford Clift, who work with me uh, as I need them to uh, make sure that we're consistent on how we do things, uh, that we follow the process that we've uh, started, you know, 45 years ago. Um, if we need to change process, which obviously we need to keep up the times, we can do that. Um, and then we have the full board behind that that uh, votes on any major major changes. So it's I think we're in very very I'm very very pleased with uh, our management team at this point in time.
1: Okay, so this is more of a committee type of organization. So if Jan Harzan says, let's do things this way, he can't just do them. You have to go back to the board and discuss it with them and work out something.
7: Well, I I have latitude. I mean, I can make day-to-day decisions. But if it's something major, you know, if we're going to rebrand MUFON or, you know, change the logo or do something, you know, extraordinary or or, uh, start a major venture, uh, the board needs to know about it. I mean, we we can't just make a hard left or right turn. But, I mean, I'm... I do have the power and authority to make day-to-day decisions so if something needs to get done for business purposes I can do that. But yeah, I mean it's it, it, you're right. It's not it's not like I can run off and go create my own organization or, or do major changes without uh getting the buy-in of the board and hopefully the membership the membership being the state directors and the people who have uh, a vested interest in in the running of the
1: Okay, so now that you've taken this position then Do you see that there are changes you'd like to make in the organization or just keep running things as they are?
7: No, absolutely. There's definite changes that need to be made. We need to really bring MUFON up to the 21st century quickly. And so my marching words are um, to go social, go mobile, and go global. And uh, each of those could take probably five or six minutes to explain. But uh, going social, um, you know we live in a social media world. I mean, information is bouncing around the world in a matter of seconds after something happens, and uh, we've got to get much more on top of that of that phenomenon. Um, so the first major change that i'm I'm making, um, it's not really a change so much, it's much mostly an update, is to uh, create a social media website for our for our website, which will allow people to Log in and be members to be everything from a free membership to uh, you know a full membership and uh, everything in between. Um, we need to make the information much more easily accessible to the public in terms of what's going on and how it's viewed. I mean, our current website is very old and dated. We need to, I think, shake this image of the the, the black box of uh, ufology. And we have the information and it is available to the public today. Unfortunately. You have to go in and know which links to click and know which search boxes to put in, and, and it's it's very cumbersome. It needs to be more easily accessible by the public and by researchers and by investigators, particularly MUFON investigators, to uh, to help us pull this figure out this mystery and pull it all together. That's going to be my major thrust from a social standpoint. Um, also, from a communication standpoint, which is part of social, uh, we've created a, a team uh, called the SRB. Science Review Board, on our very, very best sightings, uh, this board comes together and reviews them and tries to come up with uh, answers to what it might be and, and uh, research study reports on things. The power of this is you have multiple scientific minds looking at the same sighting report or uh, perhaps someone's, um, you know, what they're putting forth as being truth and, and being able to analyze it and figure out what, what, the, what, what it is and what it isn't. And as part of that process, we have a monthly review of all the completed sighting reports from the last 90 days where we have a small team, including our director of, um, actually our star team manager, our director of e-research, Robert Powell, who heads the team up, myself and a, another individual who go through these reports um, and literally crawl through them and determine what the, the best reports are for that month. Um, not every report that comes in uh, is viable. Most, I would say, a good 75% of our reports clearly are IFOs. I mean, if you go on many of these websites where they have one-liners um, and you read them very quickly, you can weed out the shooting stars, you know, the, the meteorites, the um, airplanes, the planets, uh, just by reading the description. Um, the difference on the MUFON website is that we collect lots of data, way more data and lots more uh, verbiage on the actual sighting event. So we have a 25 word summary, which uh, we allow the witness to put in, but we also let, allow them to write as much as they want. Some of them fill up pages worth of information on their sighting report. So we whittle those down to what we call the sightings of interest. And then we crawl through those. Where we get usually 10 to 20, 25 a month, and we whittle those down to the significant two or three. And those two or three go into a bucket. And then at the end of the year, we turn those over to the Science Review Board, and they choose the top 10 reports. So for the first time, we just published the uh, top 10 uh, sightings for 2012, and our intent is to do this every year. We're going to probably put a little more analytics into it in terms of all of the sighting reports because we get between five and 10,000 reports a year. We're getting between 500 and 1,000 a month. Last month, we had 927 reports, which is just a ton. I think people forget we're a completely volunteer organization, so we depend on volunteers to be able to go out and talk to these witnesses, um, go on the Internet and try to figure out what they might have seen, go out on site, take soil samples or whatever needs to be done, depending on the sighting itself. And there's a whole process for that. But we really are trying to get down to the significant few, and then what I'd like to do is publicize those. Because think too much in the past uh, reports keep coming out, in you know, are IFOs, IFOs, IFOs. And I can tell you, from having been a MUFON field investigator, if I had never seen a UFO, I'm not sure I'd still be in the business because most of the reports you get are lights in the sky or very uh, mundane things, you know, balloons, planets. You know, people swear they saw a, a a landing craft hovering there, but when you really go out and you stare at it, you're looking at the planet Saturn, you know, or you're looking at a Venus, you know, on a hot summer night with the this, the atmosphere scintillating and the, the light scintillating and it looks very very strange it looks, it's very interesting but it's not a ufo it's i mean it's a ufo to people but it's it's just you know a planet so but you weed all those out and you get down to the significant few and there's some very very good sighting reports
2: well jan this is chris here um one of the things that has come up over the last uh, few years is uh complaints about uh, the membership not having uh, as much say in the actual process of deciding on who's on the board, for instance. And uh, are there any plans to change the actual organizational structure and giving the rank and file a little bit more involvement, uh,
1: picking, picking and choosing uh, uh, and, and possibly electing officials? Before we have that answer, we've got to do our break, and then we'll have a complete answer from Jan Harzan of MUFON. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. <laughs>
13: Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution with a nationwide network of 6900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience. Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283.
12: Every time you eat a cooked food, your body responds by producing an increase in circulating white blood cells. This happens because nature designed us to eat food that is undamaged at the molecular level. When we heat food to normal cooking temperatures, we change the shape of the molecules into shapes the body cannot use. The body now looks at them as toxins and allergens. In an effort to protect itself from this irritant, the body intelligently increases the amount of circulating white blood cells to act as garbage collectors. The white blood cells gobble up all the unusable damaged food particles to neutralize their cell damaging properties. This puts stress on your organs of elimination and your body is subject to cell damage and inflammation. If you'd like to start experiencing the benefits of undamaged protein in your diet, give One World Way a try. It is a truly undamaged protein powder that will thrill your tastes and every cell of your body. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWHEY.com.
16: i clark author of the ufo encyclopedia and other books
4: you're listening to the paracast
1: with gene and chris in the paracast a question about more member participation in the things that mufon does of the director jan harzan what's your response
7: well, the way members can participate in MUFON is uh, very much like I did. They can start off as a field. Of, they can just become a member, become a journal subscriber. Uh, we have a electronic journal uh, for, I think, $35 a month. We have a, a hard copy journal, which is the same journal, for uh, $50 a, a year, rather. I apologize. Per year. And then if they'd like to get more involved, they can become a field investigator and get involved in, the, in their state or or, or country. Where they reside, um, in terms of uh, handling these reports that come in, I mentioned we get between five hundred and a thousand. Um, they become part of our case management system. They get an opportunity to work actual cases and be hands on. Uh, they can attend; uh, anyone can attend our symposiums and meet with the, the board or with the, uh, the various members and various state directors. So there's lots of ways to get involved and uh, influence. You know how things work. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think we'll ever have a let's let the world vote on who should be this or that, because then it turns into a popularity contest. And I think we have a very, very strong board with very good credentials who look over MUFON, and I think that's really the right way to run the organization. But you can work your way up. I mean, become a a state section director, run maybe a county or two, uh, work your way up to state director, and then eventually uh, work your way onto the board and... uh, International director. I mean, this, it's, that's what—that's the path that I took. I mean, realized that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was uh, standing in the foyer of the Hyatt at the LAX airport, just bathing in ufology and all of the speakers, many of which are still around. Um, and today, I'm I'm the executive director for for MUFON. I mean, I think that's a path anyone could take.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. One one thing that's also come up a lot as a subject on the Paracast. Uh, and when we look at the future of ufology, now you mentioned um, about streamlining and uh, becoming more involved in the social um, network explosion. I have a question from one of our longtime posters and very, very active participant at com ufology. He's one of our Canadian listeners and a very active forum member. And he has a whole bunch of questions here, but one of them uh, I think is important, and it, and it kind of gets to the, to the point of, of a future vision here. What efforts are you guys making there at MUFON now to get young people more involved in ufology? It's come up here at the Paracast a lot, the future of ufology. And you mentioned you're going to be uh, getting more involved and getting MUFON more involved in social media. That's going to help attract, I think, a younger, uh, a younger generation to uh, the UFO subject. So what other plans do you have uh, for MUFON to attract younger members?
7: Well, I'm hoping that this new social uh, website will be a, a big boon to them. I mean, kids today are all about social media. I mean, if you see any kids today, even when there are five of them together, they're all staring at their phone, what I find fascinating. <laughs> they're standing there with each other, but they're staring at their phones and Instagramming each other and Facebooking each other. And and uh, just that's how things get done today with uh, with the kids of this current generation. So we need to be able to be where they are and to uh, be live on social media, uh, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, those are all things that uh, here to now we've we've used very limited from a Mufon standpoint, and we're hoping to uh, make them a mainstay of what how we move information around between people. Now it's interesting because you get above the 30 crowd or maybe 40 or 50 crowd which we have quite a few members, uh, over 50. Um, you know, people aren't quite as social media savvy. That's not something they do. We even have members in their 80s who don't even use email. Um, so you have to figure out how you reach all these different strata of of uh, subscribers and members and and people. Now, to be a field investigator, to be a state director, you have to be at least on email <laughs> and you have to, to have a computer because uh, you just can't get your job done without it. But the youth market is a target market for us. It's something that's very important. I think we could also reach them through some of our merchandise. We're looking at revamping the entire uh, MUFON merchandise line. Uh, they love cool shirts, t shirts, and things like that. Um, get them involved as volunteers, um, helping out with sighting reports, becoming field investigators. I got a call from a young lady just uh, two days ago from the uh, University of Laverne here in Southern California. She was interested in doing an internship with MUFON. Um, there are people out there, uh, young people who who definitely want to be involved and are are getting involved. So we just need to reach out and meet them where they are, and I believe that's in the social media space.
2: Okay, and I and I you know I wish you luck on that because I think that's the future of the organization. As you mentioned, there's a lot of older folks that are in in MUFON, and it's the younger generation that's going to keep it going. We we have a number of questions here, Jan, about um, the last few years, the MUFON symposium. It seemed uh, to some people to kind of – it's been veering away from, you know, the scientific investigation of UFOs. And a question here from uh, one of our later signups uh, from this month at com, Steve L- L- uh, Zaliski says, I was a member of MUFON for a year back in the 70s. I ended my association with it uh, because of all the crackpots and cultists who have caused so much damage to serious scientific and scholarly UFO research. And, uh, he's again, this is his question. Having cult leader Stephen Greer speak at your July convention does not bring credibility to MUFON. If uh, your information outside magazine published an extensive uh, expose on Greer, and, and we know he's very controversial, and he also does put a lot of uh, fannies in the seats, too. But where would you come down on uh, getting really controversial people that have um, – that seem to be, you know, just almost a cult figure, uh, like like a Greer. What do you think about having them uh, being featured at the symposium?
7: Well, let me me just say, on the uh, 2013 symposium, which was one of our most wildly successful ever, uh, we had over 700 people in attendance over the three-day, four-day event. Um, We had, I think, uh, 10 or 11 very, very good. I think we had seven PhDs out of our entire speaking staff as well as, of course, an M.D., which is Dr. Greer, um, and a master's. And, uh, you know, the speakers, without question, were all just outstanding. Ted Peters, who's a theologian out of Berkeley. Um, we had Al Harrison, who's a, a former retired professor from UC Davis uh, in sociology. Uh, we had Dr. David Jacobs, who, of course, is a history professor out of Temple, also retired. Um, it's We had quite a, if you go on and look at the website, um, MUFONsymposium.com, I think it's probably one of the best speaking lineups we've had in years. Now, specific to Stephen Greer, what we had asked Stephen to do was to come in and give us a scientific view of the DNA evidence for the Atacama humanoid.
1: Okay, but aren't you aware here, Dr. Greer brings a lot of baggage to what he does, and he's very controversial, and there are very severe questions about things that he's doing. There's a recent expose, report that a, people who've worked with him have left his organization under the cloud of financial improprieties, possible steroid use. You've heard about this, haven't you?
7: I've seen the, uh, the posts on the Internet, but then, you know, <laughs> they're just Internet posts. So. Right,
1: but this is going on for years. I mean, we've had him on the show in the past, and it seemed to me like he wanted to be promoting Stephen Greer as opposed to solving UFOs. Also, we have C-SETI, this organization where people have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to go with him on a trip to get in touch with E.T., flag down a flying saucer. And of course, they have to sign an NDA. They can't tell anyone about it. You know, I, I'm just saying here is does
7: someone like that
1: really bring credibility to MUFON?
7: Well, Well, here's, here's what I know about Dr. Greer. Uh, Stephen has had his own experiences. He wrote a book. If you read it, it takes you through his experiences that he's had personally with this subject. Um, He is 100% dedicated to solving the issue, although his belief is that it's already solved, that these are extraterrestrials and they're using um, interdimensional physics to to do what they do. Um, He's just trying to leapfrog the uh, process and go directly to you know our visitors and and saying, "Why do we need to go through the government? Why do we need to do this?" So I salute him for that i mean that's that's a very novel approach. So I think too many of us are looking on this planet for someone of higher authority to bless us and tell us that these things exist. why we know they exist We're we're seeing them daily yeah. I get reports coming in all day long with people who've seen these craft we know they're we know they're there um, so he his his um focus is in, in the right place there now i know people have a hard time with his personality and with his his maybe his style and the gcn radio network
9: providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio g c
0: n great talk radio starts here
8: Ceramic body armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel body armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel body armor just won't quit
9: you are now in the crosshairs. The NSA and FBI are treating you like a criminal and monitoring your every move. Ron Paul said recently, the evidence of the totalitarian nature of this government is on display undeniably every day. What's taking place right now is a coup and the destruction of the Constitution. Fortunately, there is something you can do about it. Learn how to be invisible, lock down your privacy, and even disappear forever. Go to privacylockdown.com to learn how. That's privacylockdown.com.
14: It's time to get healthy, and your first step towards a healthy lifestyle begins at the Healthy Living Expo, Saturday and Sunday, September 28th and 29th at the Music City Center in Nashville. Get your free tickets at thehealthylivingexpo.com, and join us for Tennessee's most comprehensive health, fitness, and nutrition expo. There's over 100 exhibits with information and services to help create a healthier life. Also, more than 25 health screenings, cooking demos, and the latest fitness trends. Plus, visit the Young Booth. Get free tickets at the thehealthylivingexpo.com. There's prizes all day on the stages and at the booths, like fitness memberships to an area health club every hour. The Healthy Living Expo, September 28th and 29th at the Music City Center, Nashville. Get free tickets for yourself, your family, your friends, and everyone you know at the thehealthylivingexpo.com. Get to the website now because tickets are $10 at the door. The Healthy Living Expo, your first step towards a healthy lifestyle.
19: There's a guy named Dr. Wallach who is anything but your typical doctor. Both a veterinarian and a naturopathic physician, Doc asks, why is this country spending more money on health care by far and ranking 50th in health and longevity worldwide? Doc believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, taking charge of their life, and attaining optimal health and longevity through nutrition, not by toxic pharmaceutical drugs that lead to side effects that require more expensive and toxic pharmaceutical drugs. Talk about being dependent on drug companies to our own destruction, No. Less. This is clearly a deadly recipe. Doc Wallach's message is resonating with an increasing number of Americans who are waking up to all the government and big pharma manipulation of our health and healthcare system. I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about healthcare, and I've joined forces with him to help this tireless crusader spread his message. Visit BrightsideBen.com and listen to Doc Wallach's deadly recipe lectures. It makes a lot of sense, and I invite you to join our BrightsideBen team. Go to BrightsideBen.com. That's www.BrightsideBen.com.
10: Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: We could go back and forth about Dr. Greer, but you understand, I think, the controversial nature about what he says and about his evidence, so-called.
7: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because let me just leave you with this one After he spoke at the symposium, I had three different detractors come up to me, and I won't mention the names on the air, but these are very significant people, and tell me that they were very impressed with his presentation and were blown away with what he had shared and where he was headed, and basically apologized to me for having written scathing notes about why he was on the agenda. So. I would encourage anyone who's got a problem with it that maybe they should open up their mind and go watch the DVD and hear what he presented because it was quite fascinating and it was very scientific. And that's what MUFON's about. We're about the scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity. Sure, I understand
1: your point of view. I just think all this baggage he carries with him, even if he's doing some real good work, that baggage has to hurt because, as you know, when you get people like that and they come up before conventions... The media that's already maybe somewhat predisposed not to take UFOs seriously will go after him or Paula Harris and denigrate the entire event, even though you've got great speakers and great evidence. And that's the point. I think Chris and I are trying to make it. You've got to be careful about that. And maybe it's being politically correct, but maybe you have to be overly politically correct to get UFOs accepted more. Chris, you got more questions?
2: Now that you mention it, Gene, that leads me right to a perfect question from another one of our recent sign-ups at com. Pierre. Uh, Jan, in your opinion, uh, what needs to be done in order to bring ufology uh, to the point of being taken seriously by mainstream media? There have been so many efforts in the last 50 years, but but very little progress. And do you see this trend continuing, or do you perhaps foresee some sort of significant breakthrough as it, as, as it relates to media coverage and the media's acceptance of the subject.
7: Well, I think that's a very good point. I mean, uh, whenever I'm contacted by the media, the first question I always ask them is, you know, what's the angle of your report? The first question is, what, what do you know about the subject? And invariably, there's a long pause at the end of the phone, and the reporter or writer um, has absolutely no history. They've just been told by their editor, go to a story on MUFON or go do a story on UFOs, and off they go. I've actually had TV cameramen from the news station show up at my local meeting in Orange County and want to do a a a piece on on what we do down there with the speakers. And first thing I do is I introduce them to all the PhDs that are at the meeting, and then I introduce them to all the aerospace workers who come and and listen to the speakers. And then I have them, you know, interview Dr. Bob Wood, you know, who's a physicist from forty three years at McDonnell Douglas. Right? When they get done with all that. Their eyes are like big as saucers, and uh, these guys actually did a whole expose. They had me standing up on top of a rock, you know, shooting me with the moon in the background. I'm I'm thinking, oh, this is going to turn out well. Well, that piece, because we did such a great job of taking them through and educating them on the topic and introducing them to intelligent scientists and having them interview them and realize that this is not a joke, it never got aired. And my my, <laughs> my take is that the, the the editor of the news station who sent him up there to do this story or down here to do the story because it was out about Los Angeles that they came um, was looking for more of a funny piece that he could put on the news. And it, since it didn't turn out to be a funny piece, they just scrapped it. Oh man! Didn't fit the meme of what they were trying nah. to present. I mean, Th- it's I mean... the laugh factor, you know. Let's 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 go show these crazy people who go talk about UFOs, you know, and then they realize that there's intelligent people sitting there and and intelligent people speaking, and uh, it it doesn't play to their story. So, you know, how do we get the media more involved? Well, here's how I think we do it, and this is what we're doing. This is what MUFON is doing. Um, Every month, we sit down, and we go through the hundreds of reports that have come into us for that month, and we winnow it down to the 10, 20, 30 that are of the best cases of interest. We call them cases of interest, and then we take those 20, 10, 20, 30, whatever it ends up being. Every month, it's a little bit different because it, it doesn't run equally every month. We whittle it down to the two or three we think are the absolute best cases in there that that you know that are just solid. Definitely not a planet, Definitely not you know a balloon. You know definitely not an airline airliner coming in for landing or something of that nature. And Very credible witnesses. You know, these are policemen, you know, doctors, lawyers. I mean, these are very good people seeing these things. And we we put those in the bucket for uh, publication later. We then take those, and we are starting to send them out to the local press. So uh, Roger Marsh, who is our journal editor, I'm going to be naming him shortly as our director of public relations. Uh, We've had some good ones in the past, and he's going to take over. He has been actually taking these reports sending them out to the local media and the national media. And we're starting to get bites and people doing stories on them. And uh, TV shows, not not TV shows, but news shows and um, newspapers uh, starting to write this stuff up. So you're going to start to see a lot more in the press, I'm hoping, over the next uh, six to 12 months than you've seen in the past because we are going outbound rather than waiting for the press to come to us. Let me ask you
1: a fast question here about the organization as a whole. Do you take a position on what UFOs are, or do you just say this is something that has to be investigated? Please let me know.
7: Sure. You want to answer right now? Sure. Uh, Number one, UFOs are real. Number two, at least some of these UFOs appear to be of extraterrestrial origin. Number three, there's a hundred other (laughs) theories of where they could come from, and uh, there's nothing mutually exclusive about any of the theories. I mean, they could all be true, right? So I always tell at my local uh, meetings, which I've turned over now to Deborah Edwards, who's the new state section director. Actually, Georgianne Seffirelli named her as the new state section director for um, Orange County. That, But when I'm announcing the meetings, I always say to people, I say, you know, what we know to be true are two things. One is that UFOs are real. They're physical devices operating in and about our planet under intelligent control of some sort. Number two, at least some, and I'll underline some of these craft, appear to be of extraterrestrial origin. I say appear because we get the reports, like Benny and Barney Hill, like Travis Walton. I mean, obviously these are beings that you don't see walking around the streets, so they're probably not from this planet. <laughs> so they're of extra, you have to be of extraterrestrial or out there. I guess you can always say out there because you, know, you have other theories uh, which need to be explored. You have the uh, interdimensional uh, theory you've got time traveler theory, you've got indigenous species that lives beneath the oceans or inside the earth somewhere. Um, there's all sorts of possibilities, but they're not the uh, people that, that we would deal with on a day-to-day basis. So that's where we're at now. We believe that the way to solve this thing is through data collection and the scientific study. And I do believe the public needs some place to be able to report its sightings to and, and MUFON is organization. And then we just need to make sure that that data is used by researchers. So that's my next thrust, which will be to start to engage uh, academics and scientists and corporations in the search. And we just need to make it palatable to them that they can do this kind of work. I think the biggest crime of the century is letting the intelligence community muddy the water so bad that, that good scientists, good academics, good researchers can't be involved in this without getting their their name tarnished or their reputation tarnished i can't tell you the number of scientists that i have asked to come to mufon symposium as speakers and they're always very polite um but they always have some other place they need to be (laughs)
1: that's (laughs) why i was suggesting to you that when you have someone like a dr greer it's not helping necessarily in the scientific community but let me ask you another question here With regard to ongoing investigations and what we know about UFOs, do you think that any of the governments of the world have guilty knowledge, real evidence that they're hiding as to what the answers to the UFO mystery are?
7: Well, this is only my opinion. I I, I think when we say world government or or, or government, you know, we think of the United States. We think, you know, Obama's the president. You've got uh, here in California, Dianne Feinstein's the, the senator. Everybody's got two senators, and you've got congressmen. I think that the general people who are at the top of the government or run the government probably don't have any knowledge of what's going on. I think there are probably people buried deeper in the, the layers of government, or uh, I truthfully believe it's more in the intelligence military group where this stuff resides. Well, the uh,
2: private sector and the aerospace companies, too, don't forget.
7: Yes. Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly where... I think the information is is in there, and there are probably some bureaucrats from, you know, sometimes the NSA or the CIA, I don't know who who ultimately has responsibility for it, but, you know, if you talk to Dr. Bob Wood or other folks, they'll talk about MJ-12, they'll talk about who's on MJ-12 today. There's obviously somebody who knows something about this. But to go march on Washington and demand that the president turn over what he knows, I I doubt that the president knows much of anything, <laughs>
1: personally. He may uh, be the last person to know. He may be the person who, if they ask, they'll say, well, there's nothing to it, or you don't have the need to know. And Exactly. You're going to be and, and gone because- in four years or eight years, so does it really matter? Jan Harzan of MUFON joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the paragast.
11: my name's Bruno, I'm 52 years old. I've tried different protein powders over the years and they've all tasted pretty bad. I tried One World Way and found it to be delicious. After 10 weeks on One World Way, my wife commented, you have more muscles and you're leaner than when you were 20 years old. My body has changed dramatically. I'm a cyclist, normally I'll ride two days on and take two days off. After being on One World Way. I rode 10 days in a row in over 100 degree heat and then I take another two servings of One World Way, and then work out at the gym for another hour and a half. I just couldn't believe these results. My normal muscle tightness and soreness after working out are virtually gone. Don't take my word for it. One World Way comes in single servings. Just give it a try.
12: For a health and taste sensation you'll love, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWheY.com.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, we have Jan Harzan of MUFON. We're asking him the questions you want us to ask. And we're not always asking friendly questions either, as you notice. Chris, there's a bunch more questions out there in the audience from our forum. Would you maybe bring up some more? Yeah.
2: This is uh, becoming more and more of a problem, and that is the accessibility of uh, of special effects and uh, editing software uh, that are coming up with some pretty ingenious hoaxes. And now that we have such accessibility uh, for desktop, um, you know, both animation and effects and other things, uh, do you see this this whole problem of of hoaxing uh, as being something that uh, is going to continue, possibly get worse? And and what do you have to say? I, I have one questioner here that wants you to make a statement of condemnation for the third phase of Moon folks who are over there creating hoaxes and then trying to pass them off as real. Well will sightings so where do you come down on this whole, whole uh, subject
7: well where i come down on it is i, I wish we, there was a law that made it illegal to do such a thing i mean i understand in other countries that it's uh actually punishable by jail time to to actually uh perpetrate a ufo hoax oh um, yeah which I, countries um i, I believe i may be wrong here but i believe it's france but i can check on those facts but I think that frankly it ought to be uh something punishable by at least a misdemeanor or some kind of a fine um if someone tries to purposely do it because it's it wastes a lot of people's time frankly and it's uh, it could be disruptive to the population uh to put false information out there um I doubt we'll ever get a you know because of freedom of speech in the United States I don't think we'll ever Get it to pass. So here's what we do. We, we, we get about 1 or 2% of our sighting reports are, are clearly hoaxes. And the vast majority of them we can tell fairly quickly because we, we contact almost everyone back on the report. And we can just tell by the way it's written, by the facts, and the way they do stuff. Here, here's a good example there was a report about five years ago about a craft that landed in Bakersfield. And the guy reported that it landed in his backyard, and actually a being came out of the craft. And so having seen this, I immediately jumped on it, and I contacted the guy uh, through email. Um, I don't believe he gave us his phone number. Well, I got the sheepish reply back from the guy. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just goofing around, and I didn't realize anybody was going to come back at me on this thing. Right. Well, so, I mean, I was excited. I thought, oh, my gosh, we've got a real craft on the ground There's beings, <laughs> you know. So people do it for a joke, uh, they do it for fun, but you're talking about the very sophisticated uh, hoaxes where people might actually build a craft and go fly it. We have a lot of people doing that these days, Uh, or even worse yet, go on using animation graphics and create a completely realistic encounter um, using their computer.
2: With modern analytical techniques, though, I mean, um, people like Jeff Sano and, of course, Bruce McAbee, Ray Stanford, for instance, they can take one look at, at a vast majority, I'd say a high, highly, you know, 99% of these and instantly see that it's a hoax. But for the average person, the kid out there who wants to learn about this subject. He doesn't have that expertise to, to rely on, and it's very easy to palm these things off as real. And I think it's really doing the field a disservice, and you know, I think there should be a law against it, too. It's the educational part of this. It's people are being miseducated, and and that that could really be a problem, I think, in the future for an organization like MUFON.
7: Well, I, I think it could be, although there's just as much technology that allows you to go figure out from pixelism, pixelation, and different things, you know, Mark D'Antonio is also one of our, our uh, photo analysts, one of our primary photo analysts, and he uh, works with FX models. Um, I mean, there there are techniques that can be used to discerf, discern whether an image has been overlaid or not, whether it was implanted in the middle of another image. So just as much technology exists on the other side to go figure this stuff out digitally as there is to go make this stuff digitally. You yeah, know, but
2: wouldn't we'll it be check- nice to have Mark's time uh, tied up with, with looking oh, at absolutely. Real- Footage. I mean,
7: absolutely. I couldn't agree more.
2: Pointed out. I mean, it's a time waster. Well, here's another uh, contentious kind of element that has really, um, I think, tarnished the field uh, to a certain extent, and that is the whole hypnotic regression um, as an investigative tool. I have a question here from Han who says, uh, What is the official MUFON position regarding hypnotic regression and the evidence gathered using it? Is there an official position, and he also wants to know your personal opinion on it.
7: Of using hypnosis for uh, information gathering? Well, I mean, uh, it's been a technique used for years for a number of things, including, you know, uh, accident investigations and and uh, regular types of things like that. Um, MUFON's official position, we actually have a director of abductions, uh, Kathleen Martin, of course, her um, aunt was uh, Betty of Betty and Barney Hill.
1: Yeah, she's been a guest on the Powercast several times, so we know her.
7: Yeah. So, you know, Mupan's position, I mean, we we do take reports of abductions. Um, we do have a referral network to get people help. That's generally why they come to us is more that they're looking for someone they can talk to. They're looking for someone they can can help put their life back together. Um, it goes back to the psychological effects of having an encounter of, of that nature, That we talked about earlier in the show, Um, and so Kathleen does a great job of uh, talking to those people, understanding uh, what what happened with them, and then uh, getting them the resources and help that they request or need. So, I mean, that's what we're here for. I mean, as far as whether it's true or not, or what happened or not, I mean, we we don't really put any kind of imprint on that. I mean, obviously, people are having an experience. It's it's not typically, it can be, but it's not typically you're your straight out. I was standing there and a UFO came by. Um, it's much more involved, but it's happening all over, uh, at least all over the United States. I don't know if it's globally. Uh, someone told me the other day that it doesn't seem to happen as much in Europe as it does in the United States. So that's an interesting thought that could be a research project in and of itself. Um, but, I mean, we just try to be here for the public to allow them to report what they see and without judgment. And, uh then assign uh, investigators to go look into it. And in the case of the abductions, we have Kathleen, who's a great resource to help people uh, take it to the next level.
2: Okay, yeah, and and that's uh, I think that's that's a, a a pretty good approach to take. Obviously, hypnotic regression does have its problems in terms of the quality of information, but you know, if you if you have somebody that's that's properly trained, I I guess it uh, it could be you know an effective tool, although you know, there's still going, always going to be questions about it. Well, here's, a, here's another question that, um, uh, and, and this is an interesting one. Again, this comes from Han. It was one of our uh, longtime posters at com. If for one day, Jan, you could have unlimited funds, the highest command and the highest security clearances to all government files and buildings, where would you start, and how would you deploy those resources? Uh,
7: that's a good question. Um, well, I don't. You know, I mean, if you're not on the inside, you're not on the inside. So that's that's the part. Where I would like to go, and we're doing this uh, as an organization, as MUFON, as a ufologist, all of us who are interested in this, I believe what we need to do is to get our regular scientists who aren't part of the, uh, you know, working on some black project uh, somewhere or, or not part of the uh, inside group and get them working on the on the problem. I mean, once they realize that this is real, that these craft exist, that they display this kind of extraordinary technology it won 't take us that long if we can focus the resources and the money that's out there in the research community from corporations from from uh, universities from you know private think tanks uh, to to solve this problem ourselves so um I think we just need to once something to you know take the power of flight right I mean once it 's discovered once all of a sudden everybody's doing it right so once it's been discovered, which seems to me it already has, somewhere it's, it's known, that it shouldn't take us that long to, to uh, figure it out a second time. So I, I'd like to, you know, for myself and for MUFON, uh, use that as the, as the focus, is the, rather than try to get inside the uh, intelligence community and root around and try to figure <laughs> out what's going on, and, heck, let's forget that. Let's just go directly to, to solving it ourselves and, Uh, putting this technology to peaceful use on this planet for the betterment of all of mankind, not just a few. Well,
1: that assumes, of course, there is technology that we can acquire, that technology is something that we can get a hold of, or that if there is ET, they are even at all interested in letting anyone in on what they do and how they do it. Maybe they have their own prime directive, which is mostly look but do not touch, but then we have the abductions. We don't know about those. Jan Harzen from MUFON joining us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out
16: They are ready to answer your questions at 800 686 2237. Again, that's 800 686 2237.
14: There is only one detox product that stands out above the rest microplant powder. And it's available only at hempusa.org. Microplant powder does wonders by removing toxins from the body. Detoxification is a vital process that's extremely important for restoring your health. Microplant powder is available in eight different formulations, and we can help you choose the one that's perfect for your lifestyle. Microplant powder is 100% chemical free, non GMO, anti inflammatory, gluten free, and packaged by hand in BPA free containers. Impusa.org wants you to be healthy, and microplant powder is one of the best ways we know to detoxify your body from head to toe. All for about $10 a month. Take back your life and enjoy living again with Micro Plant Powder. Call 888-910-4367. That's 888-910-4367. Micro Plant Powder. Available only at HempUSA.org.
19: Utopia Silver understands that mainstream medicine and the rising cost of health care can financially destroy any family. We simply cannot afford to get sick. The only option is to stay healthy. Americans are learning that ill health is not caused by a deficiency of drugs. It's usually the result of a deficiency of minerals, vitamins, proper nutrition, and exercise. UtopiaSilver.com offers colloidal silver and healing protocols for vaccine and radiation poisoning, arthritis, insomnia, and more. If you're sick of unconstitutional government mandates... Then stand up now and say no. The time is growing short to put this evil genie back in its bottle. Join Utopia Silver in promoting good health and fighting for our God-given health care rights. Visit utopiasilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: As you see, we have a lot of questions from our listeners about... MUFON questioning how the organization is working about some of the questions about what the organization has done in the past coming up. With Gene and Chris, we have Jan Harzan answering those questions. Jan, let me ask you one quick one here, and that is regarding, of course, the association briefly with Mr. Bigelow, which didn't work out so well. Is that well, something would, you'd seek in the future? And I say it didn't work out so well because he's the kind of person who likes all the information going his way but not in the other direction.
7: Yeah. So before I answer that, I wanted to go back to the previous question, if I could, because this is an important point. Being an alumni of UCLA, I had the opportunity to attend a presentation by Ben Rich from the Lockheed Skunk Works. I had the good fortune to invite Tom Keller to attend with me. And this was back in 93. I believe it was March twenty third,
2: 1993. Yeah, And, and this that... is a famous statement that he made, and you were there and heard it.
7: Exactly. It's firsthand uh, by two of us, not just one, but two. So he did a whole presentation of his 40 years at the Lockheed Skunk Works because he started as a young engineer. He actually was protege of uh, Kelly Johnson, who was the then CEO, the original CEO of Lockheed Skunk Works, and he was given the... Um, Ben was given the opportunity to be the project manager uh, over the SR-71. That was his baby that turned out to be so darn successful, and the things are still flying today. I mean, this was built like 40, 50 years ago. Um, he took over and worked there and then retired, and he was also an alumni of the UCLA School of Engineering, and he agreed to come speak to the alumni, the engineering alumni. And There were about 200 of us there this night, uh, he did a beautiful, you know, I'd say 40-slide set on on the different. It was it was slideshow on his years at Skunk Works, including starting with the, uh, the U2 spy plane up through the SR-71, all the way up to the F-117. And when he finished his talk, he his last slide was a black disc zipping off into outer space. It had little swoosh marks where you could see it flying off into outer space. And he ended the talk by saying, we, this is a quote, we now have the technology to take ET home. Well, the entire place broke out laughing. And Tom and I just looked at each other and said, did he just say what we think he said? <laughs> and, and we were just completely blown away. Well, there was a little polite Q&A afterwards, and then people got up to leave, and then about 20 or 30 of us went down to stand around him and talk with him some more. And during that, he shared some very fascinating things. He mentioned about the fact that we had figured out the technology to travel to the stars and that it wouldn't take our lifetime to get there. He mentioned that there was an error in the equations, and we now had the technology to take E.T. home. So he wouldn't tell us what the equations were, but if you know anything about stealth, stealth technology was all developed from a Russian mathematician's equations that the Lockheed Skunk Works, one of their Engineers there picked up and started working with, and realized that if you built a plane with certain angles to it, that it would be invisible to radar, and that's why the F-117 looks so strange. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a weird-looking plane, but that was all based on Russian mathematics. Well, there's no such thing as Russian mathematics, but it's a math, mathematics from a Russian mathematician that was adapted. Well, obviously, there's other equations that talk about how you travel from here to there. And these have been figured out, and there was an error in them, and the error was corrected and now they, 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 in the in the black world because that 's basically what Skunk kununkhor does it built things for the CIA and the n s a and anybody else, but it 's all top secret uh, have discovered it so so going back to the previous question, which was you know how do we if you had all the money in the world, how would you do this? Well, I think what we do is we point people towards those things. The last statement that Ben Rich made was as he was when, turning to walk away, I followed him out of the room or to the end of the room and said, Mr. Rich, I have one last question for you. And he looked around at me like, who are you? <laughs> and I said to him, I said, I have a real interest in this whole subject of propulsion and how it all works. And I said, can you tell me what you know? What the equations are? Can you tell me how it works? And he just looked at me again up and down like, who are you and why are you asking this question? And he said, well, let me ask you a question. How does ESP work? And I, I was like stunned. I mean, I took two steps back and I, I wasn't expecting a question to my question. But I snapped back just first thing that came to my mind, I shot back, I don't know, all points in space and time are connected. And he looked at me and he said, that's how it works. And he turned around and he walked away. Wow. Now, Now, so here you've got two clues. Well, three clues. One is we've already done it, so we know it's doable. Two, there's an error in the equations. So we just need to figure out what the equations are and what the error is. And three, that however it works is the same way ESP works. So there's been a ton of research done by the Stanford Research Institute and other folks, Paul Puthoff, and a number of folks about that whole thing, about remote viewing and how that all comes about. So, we've got these clues here. We just need to get people working on it who have good scientific backgrounds. You know, it's kind of like when you lose your keys and you look, you know, on the kitchen counter and you don't see them and you walk in the room and you ask your spouse, you know, have you seen my keys? Oh, yeah, they're on the kitchen counter. You go back and all of a sudden, oh, they're there. I mean, they were sitting there all the time, but you didn't see them the first time you looked. But they're there. That's kind of like this: is that if you know that it exists and you know that it's there, then all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to solve. So I just want to make that point: is that is that this is all solvable? It's all doable, and we don't need the government or the intelligence community to come clean. Or I mean, that'd be great if they did. I don't think it'll ever happen, but if they did, that'd be wonderful. Um, but we can we can do this all within our own resources and our own time. Now I had, had a question
1: have. on the table though, which was about. Bob Bigelow and the issues
7: regarding his participation. Yes, we talked talk about Bob Bigelow. So, So tell me specifically what you want to know, and I'll tell you whatever you need to know.
1: Okay, specifically here, when he was working with MUFON, I guess there was some question over the funds that were applied for research and whether the projects could be finished fast enough or not. And the other question is here is the issue or the concern about the fact that Bigelow seems to have this reputation that all the information comes to him rather than the other way around.
7: Okay, so here was the opportunity that that presented itself. Uh, Bob had a contract. Now, we never knew who exactly the contract was with, but my belief is it was was a private individual who had a great interest in the subject. And the question was put to us, if you had, you know, all the money you needed, could you do a better job of getting to, you know, UFO reports, getting to a site and collecting the data? And would that improve... Uh, your, your your ability to uh, have usable you know information, and so we thought about that and we said well absolutely I mean our mission is the scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of humanity our our first goal is to investigate UFO sightings so if we had you know we're a completely volunteer organization other than the executive director and, a, and an office manager I mean that's and I think we we, we obviously have a contract uh, person who does our journal but beyond that I mean it's all volunteers I mean there's thousands of volunteers well if you now have money to let's say a report comes in, to have a team of people who could triage those reports, we call them CMS administrators and case managers, and they could quickly jump on a case and assign an investigator, which we deemed a star team investigator. These are basically our folks who have got a lot of years of experience as FIs, and get them out to the site within 24 hours, You know, whether it requires a plane ticket, uh, you know, a bus ride, uh, you know, whatever it takes to get them there, and fund them to stay on site, you know, in a hotel, feed them, house them, give them the supplies they need to do the report. Could you get better data? I mean, that was the whole crux behind the, the, what was being asked of us by Mr. Bigelow.
1: Let's continue that in our next segment. We have Jan Harzan joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Pericast.
18: It's hurricane and wildfire season again. Why do thousands of people sit in these reoccurring problem areas year after year, betting their lives that the disaster won't get them? Hundreds of you helped eFoods Direct ship 50,000 donated meals to the Oklahoma victims. The problem is we can't help everybody. If every one of us who can will take care of ourselves, we can all pitch in to take care of those who really can't. The new Justin Case pack from Efoods Direct is the big brother to the 7-day emergency pack designed for Oklahoma disaster donations. It contains a 2-month supply for one person or a 1-month supply for two adults or a 2-week supply for a family of 4. The $320 price is $50 less than retail. Call 800-409-5633 on the web efoodsdirect.com/alex. Order 2 or more, get 10% off. Free shipping applies. Call 800-409 Nine five six three three on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex.
13: An e-cig revolution is sweeping across the country. But is yours American-made? Vapriate e-liquid by Le Sig is. Manufactured in Arkansas with 100% USA-sourced ingredients. And when you buy American, you support local jobs. Vapriate e-liquid by Lasig is top quality at an affordable price. The very principle that once drove the American economy. Get great taste with no ash, tar, or smoke. You'll be wondering why you didn't make the change to Vapriate e-liquid by Le Cig a long time ago. Lasig.com has everything you need for beginners to the advanced vaping enthusiast with a wide variety of hardware and also imported e-liquid flavors as well. Plus, Lasig smokes the competition with fast free same day shipping, real people customer service and a 30 day satisfaction guarantee. Support our country and become a Vapriate at Lesig.com or call 870-525-1440, 870-525-1440. 870
15: 525 E-Cigarettes, for today's modern smoker. These days, so many suffer from heartburn, stomach ulcers, and acid reflux. And most never realize it is the high acidity within the body that causes their discomfort. While selective diet choices can help, AlcaVision plasma pH drops can really make a change. A few drops added to water can optimize your body's pH level, ridding you of harmful waste and acid, promoting health and restoring vibrance and energy. Healthy pH levels make all the difference. High acidity can also cause depression, insomnia, and irritability. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops bring you vital balance that can be truly life-changing. Alkalizing boosts immune response, reduces headaches and cramping, and even helps prevent bone loss. This is simple science that helps your body do what's natural. Order your AlkaVision pH Drops for just $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com.
16: Hi, this is nuclear physicist, lecturer, Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Jan Harzan of MUFON telling Gene and Chris about their participation working with Mr. Bob Bigelow. So go ahead, please.
7: So um, we looked at that and we said, sure, I mean, absolutely. I mean, today, one of our biggest problems is because it's all volunteer and people are left to their own resources that if you need to fly someone someplace, I mean, they're paying out of their own pocket. And a lot of people don't have the money to do that. Similarly, if you're going to want to be on site for several days, which some of these cases require, you're going to have to have the resources to have a hotel room, to have meals, to maybe have a rental car if you had to fly someplace where you didn't have a car. So we said, absolutely. We think we could design a program where we, where we could make this happen and test it out and see how it works. So they said, great, we're going to give you X dollars uh, per month. And, you know, to pay for this program, we would like a manager in place of it. So we, we named a star team manager. Today, that, that gentleman is uh, Fletcher Gray. Fletcher is not paid. He's not not paid. But the but the one that was there was being paid quite a bit of money, frankly. We had basically operators standing by 24-7. Uh, who were MUFON people, CMS administrator type people who were, were scanning CMS minute by minute as cases came in and immediately phoning back the witnesses to get categorized the sightings into either Category 1, 2, or 3. Just to give you a quick synopsis, a Category 1 sighting is basically a light in the sky. A Category 2 sighting, in short, is something that has a physical effect. So your car stopped, it left a burn mark on the ground, uh, it broke a branch of a tree when it flew away, something that, that you could see, touch, and feel, some physical effect. And a Category 3 was a sighting a close encounter where an entity was observed or, or interacted with. Well, the vast majority of our reports come into MUFON are Category 1. They're lights in the sky type of thing. So that's probably 70%, 75% of what we get, uh, perhaps even as high as 80%. You know, we, we get a few of the Category 2s and then very, very few of the Category 3s, but we do get them. So the SAR team were only deployed on Category 2 or Category 3 sighting reports. And so we would triage those reports. We would review them and then decide where the deployment should be made, and then the funds were expended. So we had to account for the funds that were given to us because they were, the the whole point of the thing was to pay for the project, it wasn't to pay for MUFON. And that was uh, one of the sticking points. We felt that some of that money should have gone for the industri- overall administrative overhead of MUFON because we did have to run CMS, we had to you know, keep an office open, we had to do all that stuff. But But be that as it may, I mean, it did fund a good project for I'm thinking six to 10 months, I'm not sure exactly how long it ran, but then the, the, the project ended. So we took what we learned from that, and we've implemented it within MUFON today. We still have CMS administrators. Uh, we still have a star team manager. We still have star team members. What we don't have is the funding to drop people in. So we, the funding is all through volunteer donations to be able to you know, fly people to a, a, a good category sighting to be able to put them up and do stuff like that. So we, we depend a lot, a lot, as we always have, on volunteers to make that happen but that was the full extent of the program. I mean, there was never any oversight by... Bigelow literally wasn't involved in it. It was Bass, his uh, subsidiary, Bigelow Aerospace, Advanced Aerospace Studies uh, run by Colm Kelleher, and uh, they had a team of people that were working on it, and the whole purpose of that organization was to bring scientists on to look at the whole UFO problem. So what they were looking for was feeding these people with information that they could then work on later. So after we investigated the sighting report, Uh, we would turn the information over to them, and if they wanted to go out on site and investigate it, they were welcome to do so.
1: Let me ask you a quick question here because we have to move on. We're getting near the end of this. Was there any request on the part of Bigelow or his people for you not to disclose the information you gave to them? Never. Okay. Never. Chris?
2: There were rumblings uh, at the time when the whole thing kind of fell apart that perhaps Bigelow had been cherry-picking cases and leaving MUFON out of the loop. Did that happen?
7: Never. Never. No, because we were we got the cases first, and then we would review them on a weekly basis. I believe, with Bigelow, it might have been a daily basis, but it was not with. When we say with Bigelow, we didn't do it with him. He had a Colm Kelleher, who you know from NIDS, uh, had been hired back by him to run BAS, and they had a staff of people. I don't recall the names right now, who would would be on the phone with our star team manager uh, almost daily, going through the cases from the day before, and and reviewing them. So. Um, no, there's no case of them.
2: Well, the fact that uh, the Bigelow Aer- Aerospace is now the number that UFO reports into the FAA, uh, they're given the Bigelow Aerospace number for them to to uh, report uh, their sighting. I would think that it would make sense for them to be going to you. Um, had, did you ever enter in any conversations with Bigelow about being part of that particular process of fielding reports to the FAA?
7: Yeah, actually, I talked to Colm Kelleher about that when that came out in a news release a few years back, and there really is no agreement with the FAA. What happened was they just basically called them up and gave them their number, and so we've done the same thing. We, with local police departments, fire departments, FAA, and different different places where reports come in, we basically provide our information and our contacts saying, if you get these kind of reports, and um, you can refer them to us because that's what we do, and, and they actually do appreciate that because they don't really have the wherewithal to collect UFO reports. I mean, you know, the police department is there to stop crimes, and if if they're not, you know, jaywalking or, or or speeding down the street in their UFO, there's really nothing for them to do. You know, same thing with the FAA; they're really trying to manage the traffic patterns of the airliners in the in the world, and uh, they're not there to be a UFO collection agency. So they appreciate that. So I think that one kind of got a lot more press than it really should have. It was, it's a very simple thing; they just basically gave them their name and number and. I think they may have put out a press release. somebody put out a press release saying that they were the place to go to, but the truth is, the FAA can report to anybody they want.
2: Right. Okay. So there is no no official thing. It's just uh, it's just an easier path of resistance, a, a least resistance of the FAA to to, <laughs> to have somebody else take the call, basically. Right. Exactly. Well, w- one thing that, that I want to get in here before we get too far down the road because we are we are getting toward the end of the show, and that is to acknowledge uh, you, Jan, and Orange County MUFON for um, being excited about the vision that, uh, that Wayne Hall and Becca and myself had for the San Luis Valley Camera Project and for actually helping us with some seed money to get the project up and uh, get some gear bought. And I'm happy to uh, report that we're we're about ready to put a second and third camera up. And we couldn't have done it without you, Jan. And that's the kind of uh, hard data research that I think Mufonics ex- could, could excel at. And uh now now that we've gotten kind of the stickier stuff out of the way here's some, here's a fun one for you what do you think is the strongest or best u f o case that that you know about and this is another question from our poster hand
7: all time or or, or just well what, what's or, your
2: personal favorite what which which one really set set your uh set your uh, wheels turning
7: well honestly the the one that set my wheels turning uh was the travis walton case i mean here's a guy with you know Seven of his uh, worker friends or buddies uh, see this. uh, What they thought was a forest fire off in the distance, and drove over to see it. It turned out to be a craft. uh, For whatever reason, he jumped out of the truck and ran towards it. Got hit by a beam and knocked unconscious. Uh, His buddies ran away and came back uh, five days later. He shows back up, none the worse for wear, and uh, it is a phenomenal story about being on board this craft and what happened to him. I'm just I'm just blown away by it. And you know, he's passed lie detector tests and everything else. And Boy, if you, can't, if you can't be a believer after hearing that story, I don't know what would make you a believer in this, in this subject.
2: Well, especially when you meet Travis and, and, and speak with him. Yeah, I mean, such he's been a nice rock job.
7: solid for, for, for all Absolutely. This, four years.
1: We have to loosen that guy up and have him come on the Paracast soon. I know you and I have talked to him several times. Yeah. He says, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. You know, it's yeah, not well, like Whitley Strieber who doesn't want to come on the Paracast and will probably never come on the Paracast you know, Travis would get an interesting reception here. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: He's, his story is the one universe. of the best, and I agree, Jan. That is that is a very, very uh, intriguing case, especially if you look at some of the stuff that was going on in the area, which, incidentally, is just down down the uh, Mogollon Rim from where I live. Um, I'm about 40, 50 miles away from there. Um, there were a lot of very interesting events that went on in the fall uh, of, of 75 and 76 in the area. I think the attendant phenomenon aspect of of ufology is one that needs to be uh, reconciled, I think, by groups like MUFON. You know, when your investigators go out and and investigate a really good sighting, and then they find out that there's cattle mutilations, Bigfoot reports, uh, strange uh, appearing uh, uh, crypto creatures and that sort of thing, I think that all this uh, should kind of come into play. Uh, I think there is some sort of interconnectedness. And speaking of that, uh, L.A. MUFON has all of a sudden jumped ship, and they want to become more of a paranormal group now.
1: Can you give us a little insight on that? Before you do, we have to do the break. With Gene and Chris talking to Jen Harzan, you're in the Paracast. The GCN
9: Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN.
1: Great Talk Radio starts here.
15: Attention homeschoolers, teachers,
13: and students of all ages. Now there's a way to learn English grammar using the Holy Bible. Sacred Grammar is a unique book that teaches all of the fundamentals of English grammar using Bible verses. Affordable and simple to use, it's a superb supplement and a great teacher's aid. Whether your focus is teaching children at home, strengthening your own writing skills, or just speaking proper English, Sacred Grammar offers all the tools you'll ever need. Learn to use words through His Word. For more information, go to sacredgrammar.com at sacredgrammar.com. In times of disaster, internet and mobile networks will go dark. A wealth of online information will be completely inaccessible. Now, imagine the most extensive survival and disaster preparedness library ever created with information for every possible scenario still available to you without online access. That's the survival key. Ben Franklin said it best. By failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. Get your survival key at GetSurvivalKey.com. Quite literally, the key to your
3: survival. GetSurvivalKey.com. Hi there. My name is Frank Bates. What I'm about to tell you in the next 60 seconds could get me in a lot of trouble. I just created a free video presentation at 123coverup.com that exposes the electricity monopolies and government agencies for what they really are, incompetent, lying crooks that are counting on your ignorance and fear to keep your power bills criminally high. Some have called this a conspiracy. Others have called it a cover-up, and you will be shocked to find out how deep the conspiracy goes. My video at 123coverup.com exposes the truth and shows you the secret of how I beat them and how you can beat them, too. Watch the controversial video that thousands of other smart patriots have already seen in the last three months. Go to 123coverup.com and discover one weird trick to slash your power bill and protect your home. Go watch my video now at 123coverup.com before they force me to shut it down. Again, that's 123coverup.com.
11: expert in nutrition, diet, weight loss, immune system, and I specialize in chiropractic. My 15 years of professional experience has taught me the four keys to vibrant health. A balanced muscular skeletal system, an integrated nervous system, a flowing lymphatic system, and a body filled with over 90 essential nutrients. This has been A Secret Too Long. Actualize your potential, reverse disease. Call me, Dr. Z. 201-945-1177, 201-945-1177, This is Jacques
4: Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Jan Harzan is the new director of MUFON, and he sounds like a keeper. You know, I am maybe not agree with everything he says, but he's really a solid guy there, and glad to meet you, Jan. Thank we have, you. We're going to continue with our final segment of the Paracast. Chris asked kind of a big question that requires a much longer answer than we can spend here, but Jan will try to okay. be brief.
7: Absolutely. So I think the whole – this is a, a real – dialogue going on within MUFON and uh, at the board level all the way down today. And that is, you know, where does MUFON stand with regard to the paranormal? And obviously, you know, paranormal just means it's something out of the ordinary. Uh, UFOs definitely could have that uh, label attached to them as being paranormal. But, you know, we're planning to focus on UFOs. I mean, that's what we really want to focus on. Now, if as part of a UFO study, there's a, a Bigfoot associated with it, and there have been sightings where a craft has been seen and a Bigfoot has been seen in the same vicinity, that's fine. We have no problem with that. I, I've had cases I have personally investigated, uh, one by a police officer, which was an angel case, you know, uh, where he, was, he had a, was riding his bike down a place and all of a sudden reality changed around him and there was an angel talking to him. You know, um, So it's not like we spurn those types of reports if people want to report it to us. But our primary focus really is on UFOs and craft and uh, potential entities or, or, or beings that might be associated with that. So that that is what we'd like, or we, that's what we are doing in terms of collecting data. Um, that doesn't mean there's another data in our files on ghosts or anything else, but but that's not our primary focus. Do
1: you consider, so though, that there's a possibility that maybe there's a relationship amongst oh, all absolutely. these things? So you have UFOs, and then there's Bigfoot and other phenomena around it, maybe there is a connection that ought to be explored?
7: Well, I think, I think. well, I don't know, but I mean, I think there is a connection. Um, the connection, in my mind, is probably something along the lines of this interdimensional type aspect, which means that we probably don't live in a three- or four-dimensional universe, which is what we experience daily. Um, if you read Michio Kaku's book, you know, The Ten-Dimensional Universe, or uh, I believe that's the name of the, Title of his book, but he's got written many, many books uh, on the subject of this. He talks about the fact that you know the universe is made up of at least ten dimensions, and as you get into the higher dimensions, the stranger it looks to us. So, the book that was written years ago, Flatland, where it was talking about beings who lived in a two-dimensional world, what a three-dimensional world might look to them like. And if you pass a a cone through a flat surface, which is the two-dimensional world, what they'd see is first is a dot and then you see the, the dot get bigger into a circle and the circle get larger and larger and larger until finally it just disappeared, um, it would look very, very strange to them because they're they're flatlanders, uh, very similar to us. If we're in a three-dimensional world and all of a sudden a fourth-dimensional being or a fifth-dimensional being or craft moves through our three dimensions, third dimension, it's going to look very, very strange to us. It's going to do strange things. And that's exactly what these craft uh, exhibit is, very, very strange things. Similarly, I mean, it's possible that uh, these creatures, Bigfoot or whatever, might be higher-dimensional beings that come in and out of our reality. I really don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I mean, we're not a Bigfoot research organization. There are Bigfoot research organizations, and we're certainly um, happy to work with them if we need to or or ghost uh, people who do ghost uh, studies and things like that. But it seems to me that it's probably all using the same physics uh, of some kind of higher-dimensionality. And uh Someday we'll understand it, and then it'll all make perfect sense to us. But right now, it's just pretty strange, which is why we call it paranormal.
1: Okay, so MUFON has been around since, what, the late 1960s? Yes, 69. Okay, right. And so have I, but I don't want to get into that because nobody is as old as I am. Okay, <laughs> do you think you've made much progress? Do you think we've gone anywhere in the UFO field? It seems that we're talking about the same things now that we talked about in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc.,
7: Well, I think where we've made progress is, number one, uh, we have a structure and we have a process. Um, Back in the 60s and 70s, although we had citing reports and things like that, they were going into brown paper boxes and going into Walt's Garage and being stacked up. um, They weren't accessible. Today, information is going into the computer. It's uh, in a, a, a relational database. It's all accessible. It can be studied. Where we really need to move this to is taking the data and doing uh, analytics on it, and trying to understand what the data is telling us. We also need to take what we know to be true from the comments of Ben Rich and others, um, and get scientists—real scientists—I uh, mean, I'd say real scientists. I mean, basically people who have an interest in physics and, and these things—and uh, get them working on it, trying to figure out, you know, how it all works, and and make it available to all of us, um, so it can improve our lives and improve life on this planet for everybody. I think there's great progress going to be made here in the next 10 to 20 years that we've never seen before. Here's one as an example. I mean, with, with all of these space companies out there today, um, very shortly, in the next 10 years, we're going to have civilians walking on the moon, maybe 20 years. It might be 20 years, but at least in, in space orbit, right? I mean, you've got all these companies that are building craft to take you up and give you uh, the ride of your life or the vacation of your life in orbit or even on the surface of the moon or Mars. Well, if there are truly structures on these uh, planets uh, and bodies like the moon, uh, I would think you might see them if you were up there taking your vacation. It would be very hard for someone to say this doesn't exist. I'm not saying that it does exist. I'm just saying, you know, now it's, it won't be us depending on the government or uh, our satellite programs to tell us what's there and the imagery from it. I mean, look at all the controversy over the face on Mars.
1: All right. Okay, so stay with me now. Let's bear this in mind. So we don't expect that maybe we'll be vindicating someone like a Richard Hoagland as a result of this, but at least more and more people will have a chance to see this. And there won't be the wall of security behind the military travels. If civilians go there, they can't stop what's being reported.
7: Well, I'm just thinking it'll put a lot of this to bed. I mean, you know, it will be true or it won't be true. I mean, it's either there or it's not there. Um, but, I mean, we'll be able to f- experience it firsthand as opposed to have someone telling us about it. That's, that's my whole point. And, I mean, I think that's where, you know, you're talking about we haven't progressed very far. Well, maybe we haven't progressed very far in terms of figuring out what exactly these UFOs are and how they work. But we're getting a lot closer today than we were 40, 50 years ago.
1: In what and, respect? And we only have two minutes left, so this is going to have to be the fastest answer of the ages for you.
7: <laughs> well, in, in the respect that we know that there's people who are in the know who've told us that it that, that exists and that uh, you know, kind of how, in, in essence, and how it works. And now it's just really up to us to, to put that to work and uh, make it happen. I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, positive that we're going to make great strides here in the next 10 to 15 years.
1: Well, if we're all around 10 or 15 years from now, we can all get together in a little room and we can talk about it and see what solutions we come up with. Very fascinating. We have a minute or two left. Would you, Jan Harzan, tell our listeners who haven't considered becoming a member of MUFON, and I am a card-carrying member of MUFON, by the way, just well, thank to let you, you know That's that. Okay. Right. He's sending me a bill. <laughs> tell our listeners more about it.
7: Absolutely. Well, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, I mean, was founded in May of 1969, and our whole mission and purpose has been the scientific study of the UFO phenomenon. So if this is something that interests you, I would encourage you to come join MUFON. Uh, Memberships are as little as $35 a year. If you're a senior, I think they're $30 to be a subscriber of our electronic journal, which is published every month. We put in all the latest sighting reports and things that have been vetted um, along with a number of different uh, feature articles on the UFO field. If you can even support more, you can certainly uh, become a donor um, and work at higher levels. We have a benefactor level which is $1,500 which allows you to be a lifetime member. Um, But all of this goes towards uh, funding the operation and uh, helping us maintain our, our website and our case management system, which is what all the citing reporting go through, um, helps us build research projects that we can hopefully uh, get answers to some of these questions we've been talking about today on the show. So I would strongly encourage you to go to MUFON.com and join today. And uh, I'd be happy to talk to you or, or um, answer any questions you have, but we need all the support. It's really the public that makes this happen, and we appreciate each and every one of you who are members today and each and every one of you who will become a member very soon.
1: MUFON.com will have a link over at com for it. Chris Thank O'Brien's you. great site is OurStrangePlanet.com. That's OurStrangePlanet.com. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter, where we are known as The Paracast. We are The Paracast on Twitter. And there are two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. Someday we'll figure out how to make them one. So there you go. Jan Harzan, director of MUFON. Thank you so much for joining us this week on The
7: Paracast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.